Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long now. The water seals it. The bread feeds it. This is Christianity, and you have found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill with Jonathan and Meredith. Stick around. Were you there? No. No. (laughs) What happened? There you go. Oh, good. We're there. (laughs) And I'm here. Hey, Internet. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. That's Jesus Christ, the king of the world. You found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Show with Jonathan and Meredith. We are in the middle of confusion here because we just had like a switcheroo as the garage door came down. We moved all the cameras around, but that's okay. That's okay. Hopefully, we'll get this garage door up by the time any of you who are traveling this way to watch the show live in Rockford uh, get here this morning. Uh, The lawn across the way will be done by then. This morning, we got your questions, Bible's answers, my nonsense, Meredith managing everything from behind the scenes and actually being a little bit more of a voice here on the show as well. Um, and ah, here's the trick then. Normally I go into this like rage, like conversation with nobody, right? Like it's, it's me and the screen and I'm, I'm, a, I'm just ah, and this stuff and Christianity and you need to think this way and things. And um, so, but now I want to suddenly have a conversation with you instead. Um, but I don't know, Meredith, if I ask you about the ever war, that's probably not what you've been thinking about recently. What if I ask you about how nobody else seems to know that Christians are supposed to be set apart. Have you, have you noticed how, like, the world doesn't realize Christians are supposed to be abnormal and not, not walk with them, and then Christians kind of have forgotten that too? And that, but Christianity teaches this set apart, this holy idea. I mean, have, have you been aware of being different from the people in the world recently in a way you weren't before? Um, more recently than, yeah. than pre-COVID Yeah, yeah. So, so talk about that. Talk about that as I put you on the spot in front of the world. Um, well, it, it's become evident as we have pulled away from media uh-huh. just how um, how much the media of today... Well, let's just take Netflix, for mm-hmm. example. Uh-huh. Um, for a while, the kids and I were still... You were pulling away and the kids and I were still watching Netflix or Prime Video um, stuff occasionally and um slowly it became evident that the worldview that christ has us um has imputed into us through his word right right is not jiving with the worldview that is being forced into you by what netflix even the most wholesome seeming show mm. would then have some sort of agenda yep, yep. that goes against um well let's it, just as basic as the wife's submission to mm. her husband what are you talking you know? about <laughs> right. that, that's that's old stuff <laughs> right yeah right can i have the camera on me for a second because i think that's a great introduction to what i mean when i'm talking about the ever war in my own head like first off There's a comic book coming. Do you know that? There's a comic book called Ancient Legacy that has been in the works with Mad Christianity for a couple years now, and we're getting to the point where we're ready to go public with the idea. Now, not next week, but like in this next year, this is on the front burner going to happen. Oh, look at my paper towels fell, and I actually thought that was Sweet Rabbit. How did Sweet Rabbit get in our garage? It was the (laughs) thought that ran through my head. In any case, with publishing a comic book, part of my own like life cycle mindset is to get into the mindset of a comic book, meaning... Asking the question, what would my life be like if it were a comic book? And here's what I know. 
Christianity would still be my religion and it would be the most amazing thing in the world because I believe all the words of the Bible and what it says about Christianity rather than like be bored with the Bible because I'm so drunk on everything else the world has to offer. So the fact of the matter is you can call it Christianity, you can call it going to church, or you can call it the ever war. That is the fact that the devil, the arch enemy of all that is good and right and true, including you, mankind, has against you a malicious spite and a desire to pull you into the absolute destruction and abyss of your own heart on the way to a burning fiery hell and even if you're a christian or especially because you're a christian he hates you and he's not going to stop pursuing you with the intent of not attacking you full front no 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 no. that's easy to fight back against what he's going to do is he's just going to like come in along the side and say here here's how i can help here's how i can help and eventually eventually what you find is that what you thought was alive is a heart of stone yeah that's the ever war it's always there it's always a threat Take heed lest ye fall. But you fight in the ever war with this glorious reality. So don't miss the other side of this thing, right? Because you are a Christian, because you believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, that means you are elected by him. Like you don't get a choice whether or not you get to say whether or not you're elected. He says you're elected. You believe you're elected. Okay, so you are elected by him. You're in this ever war in which the devil is constantly going to try to take away your faith, but he can't because the word of God won't let him win you Read the Word of God. When you believe the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God, when you make, produce, confess, receive, live according to, walk with the Word of God. That's, that's what it's all about, and that's the war. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Christian, you can't lose in the war unless you take off your armor and put it down, unless you take your sword and say, I don't like it. And that's what strangely has seemed to happen just across the board here. And I don't care what denomination you're in. I don't care what kind of, like, level of sanctification you think you found right now things look so bad for the church we who say we are christians like where is our voice where is our spirit now what what's really crushing us here seems to be instead an age of confusing stories even in the church that you hear this and you hear that and you hear this and you hear that you don't know what anybody thinks about anything for real because everyone's afraid to say it and you hear all these other things you can't tell if they're real because they sound like UFO stories. And some of them, those are actually the true ones. It is absolutely an age of confusing stories in which everybody wants you to adopt another one. Here I am right now. Buy my story. Send me money for my story. Here, my story will fix your story. It's everywhere that you look. Again, this is the ever war. God is telling his story as creation, redemption, and mortifying, sanctifying, holifying, resurrection, okay? And the devil is trying to stop all of that by getting you to believe in every other story there ever was. And sometimes you got to believe in the story of, I need to go to the bathroom. Like you go away from the word of God, but then you have to come back to the word of God at some point in your life, right? Some point in your week, for sure, some point in your day, yeah, you, you, you would think you would want to. I mean, how often do you eat, right? So how often do you pray? It should be at least as often as you eat. Did I just lose my mic? No, no. no. I turned you down. You're going into the red. I'm going into the red. Well, I'm raging. I'm raging on the ever war. An age of liars, confusion, and lies. That, that's to, to reframe your American framework, your mind as an American-born citizen, if you are one, <laughs> into knowing that your American citizenship is not ultimately for your good, but for the good of the Christian 
church. That is the ark, that is the ship in which Christians together body around the word, which is Jesus' words, believing it to be true, are sailing through this age of darkness, decay, chaos, muck, abyss, and Leviathan's nasty teeth. Huh? You are set apart in this ever war, and the strength of your heart stands in believing that the Bible's story is more real than all the stories you see. And that means things like headship. I mean, we argue about this like it's just about man and woman. Headship is about the organic nature of human community, the way that networks work. We'd like to talk about it in those ways, but not in the marriage. No, there's no networking in the marriage, right? No network, just as pure network. Anyway, headship. Uh, the Pendragon Principle is the Sons of Solomon. Check them out, sonsofsolomon.net. The Pendragon Principle, as, as that organization is trying to reframe the fourth commandment, just for, for inspiration's sake, uh, to see that God made fathers first and kings second. And the kings are but fathers. Fa- God made fathers first and pastors second, and pastors are but fathers. So it's to see that that reality means that where you are right now, no matter how bad it looks, step up and be the Pendragon, be the father, be the man, if that's what you're called to be. And if not, if you're a lady, then learn what it means to be that. The Bible's got that story for you. Plenty good. Best prayers in the Bible often are the mouths of ladies. Mouths of ladies. Prophetesses and deaconesses of old. So, uh, an age of the holy tree of the cross of our Lord. It is, it is an age of the cross. It's a time when uh, Christians are realizing that we are going to suffer more in this world than other people. Uh, go check out Psalm 73 sometime. <laughs> you know, I, I despaired when I looked at the wicked. It's like, wait a minute, everything's working for them. Why is this? Why is it all going so well for them? I don't understand. Oh, then I went to the sanctuary of Jesus Christ and I realized that everything's going to burn and they're putting all their hope and everything's going to burn. And they're all stressed out about everything's going to burn. And I know it's all going to burn and I'm not going to. I'm going to rise through it like a phoenix through the ashes, right? <laughs> like a unicorn getting on the ark, uh, uh, like a resurrected man. Because that's what Jesus baptizes us, washes us, declares us to be. What a thing. What a thing. Now, I'm going to shift here from like the universal paradigmatic, like this is what we always should believe, but uh, let's think about it in cool terms. I'm going to shift now to like some real direct brief history of power talk a little bit for just a moment. Brief history of power, two white guys, if you haven't found it, it's probably the most important podcast on the internet. I just, no, 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 no bones about it. If you're a Lutheran, doubly so, triply so, this is the, what? What do we do in such times as this as Christians when not everyone even thinks there's times going on? How do we begin to understand that the gaslight is real, you can track it, and if you read books, it all starts to make sense again. Brief history power, two white guys. Dr. Koontz, I just sit at his feet and let that guy talk. I mean, I, I argue because it's fun, but more or less, he's given us a platform of common sense, understanding, and history with which to fight back in this ever war. And one of the things that he has said recently that's like the great threat, right? He's, he's the, the real threat to say the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, okay? You ready for it? Is it praise and worship, right? Is, is it bad preaching? I mean, you could probably make the argument it's bad preaching, but, but, you know, easy, guys, easy. We all should just repent, right? So what did he say it is? He said, I mean, he didn't say LCMS specifically, but he said this is like the great threat right now. Biological poisoning. Biological poisoning. We're being poisoned. Now, you can, you don't have to, everyone out there like either got real excited and said, yeah, in this way, in this way, or someone's like, no, no, that's not poison. Like that went in a lot of different directions and whichever one you think you're arguing about, there's more. This is the problem. This is why he's so right when he says biological poisoning and is nonspecific as to what particular ingestible, inhalable, uh, environmental, absorbable, toothbrushable poison you're putting in your mouth. It, it doesn't matter which one you're on, right? The point is that at this moment in history, the human species called Anglo-Saxon Lutheran post-delivered into this space no longer having children's great threat is that we're all sick. 
or old? Wow. That's something to think about, right? Like seriously. I mean, maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe we're all really healthy and a generation ago, everyone was just like us. That's why you should listen to the show. Brief History Power, two white guys. If you check it out on iTunes or on Stitcher or those things, we talk real there. We talk about, here's, here's what I think. I mean, I would have said this. He says biological poisoning. I'm like, dude, that's, that's kind of right. But I got a second. I got a second for you, and it's this. It's spirit machine apathizing. Okay, now I'm going to d- define that. That's not as obvious as biological poisoning, but spirit machine apathizing. We are using machines which cause human spirit to be invested into them that are causing us as a spirit, whole people, groups, to apathize, to be apathetic, to have less spiritual willpower. The machines have not made us better. We have overdosed and we're beginning to lose our heart and our will to actual things while we try to maintain the machines that aren't really providing as much as they say they are. Now, the only way to figure out what I mean by that is to test it yourself with something around you that you think you need right? See how long you can go without it. But my point is that as a whole, as a body, right there with biological poisoning, we have become fragile by means of uh, over-reliance on things that are in theory supposed to help but have become needs and are in fact crutches, and there are many of them, many of them, so that the group soul now, when it comes to things like, hey, how are we doing a Bible reading, church? They're all like, um, 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 okay, well, why? How are we doing a watch Netflix, church? Oh, yeah, we were watching that. Did you see that one? Did you watch the catch the game the other night? So that's what I mean by spirit machine apathizing. Um, an age of confusion, an age of liars and lies, an age of darkness and tyranny, an age of the holy tree of Christ our Lord. Um, and one more while we're at it here. This one's, uh, this one's probably pretty easy to misunderstand. Uh, I'm not sure I understand it yet. But what I know is this, in, in, in these terms at least, that the more I read the Psalms, the more I don't know how modern Christianity can be more than a last gasp of something long being strangled to death. Why do I say that? Because I am an avid fan of the Lutheran dogma. Why do I say that? Because it's the best encyclopedia on the Bible you're ever going to read. Any, any Lutheran dogmatic is like, they did it better. <laughs> there are others who do this well. There are other reference sources for the Bible, and we can argue about heterodoxy and orthodoxy, but th- there are others who, who do it very well as well. But the Lutherans do it, better. They just always have. It's very, very good. And yet somehow I'm reading the Psalter and I'm saying, I didn't know I could believe that. I didn't know I could believe that. I didn't know I could pray like that. After years and years and years of preaching the lectionary, uh, only, of using the hymnal and hymns, only, the good ones, right? Uh, and, and like the Psalters just opened to me to say, wait a minute, something of our heart has been missing in this matter. So if you don't like what I just said, well, read the Psalter then. If you're already reading the Psalter and don't like what I just said, then I'm really curious why. How much are you reading the Psalter? I, I don't think you can read the Psalter and not agree with what I just said. I, I really do at the end of the day. That, that if you are in the Psalms as if they are true and you are to pray them every day, including all the stuff about your enemies, right? right? And, the, and the evil out there and how you're going to do this and that and, and how you're going to be victorious and... Like, like, we're not even allowed to say that stuff, at least not in our circles, right? So, so the last gasp is something long-strained. I mean, let's fight back, right? He who, he who sees the wicked rise and praises that, 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 is, a, that is a fool. Huh? But he who hears Torah, he who hears the revelation of Jesus Christ, he fights back. He rises from the dead. Even as a dead man, he begins to confess and breathe the spirit of the living God. All right, I got more stuff here I'd love to talk about. We've got so many questions going on today, and I want to make sure we get to uh, Meredith a chance to answer some of these as well. So we're going to take that one-minute break. Come right on back with your questions. Bible's answers are nonsense here on the Saturday 
I almost got it. The Mad Christian Saturday morning chill with Jonathan Ann. Can you say your name? <laughs> Me? Me, Meredith. We'll be right back. <laughs> he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. You found the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill with Jonathan and Meredith. The question just came through about Brief History Power, which I was talking about in the previous segment. Was there an episode this week? No, there was not. And I, I debated, like, how much it would be worth a half an hour to, like, record the 30 seconds to have like three people edit and release to tell you that there wouldn't be one but i figured it would all work out and so here we are right no there'll be another one we return next week we just um ran out of time with summer there's a lot of travel dr coos is a very busy man and, and hotly sought after more and more i'm glad we grabbed him when we did for the show because uh, uh as you know he speaks he speaks wisely uh so look for it next thursday we're going to continue on with it's not kid prison but it's the education conversation we've got two episodes already recorded coming your way on higher education and and what that means so yeah right on what do we got out of the grab bag all right desperate sinner says i live in a state of constant anxiety that i don't truly believe i've struggled with many sins of the flesh porn alcohol hating them yet still committing them afterwards i repent but i'm consumed by doubt that my repentance is false or that i'm believing a lie the lack of real lasting victory over sins causes me to doubt salvation constantly. These aren't just sins of the heart, internal, but actual external sins that I commit. I worry I have lost faith, driven out the spirit, and my repentance is just a worldly sorrow. I confess to my pastor and receive absolution, and my conscience is abated for a time, but it always comes back. It's so bad I can sometimes feel it physically. A deep burning within my gut that keeps me up up at night. And this anxiety inevitably leads me to think I'm damned or that God is done with me, which drives me back to a cycle of sin. How do I break out of this? Am I misunderstanding Christianity? I know we will be tempted and sin occasionally, but it seems like the general idea is that we rarely sin. I'm completely broken over my sin after I do it. But rarely before, even though I will question, why am I doing this? I hate this. Prayers are appreciated. That's such a very real question. Thank you for sending that in. And I want to start by emphasizing that the worry that you're going to lose the spirit is the spirit. So as long as you're having that worry, hallelujah, thanks be to Jesus, you're a Christian. Okay? It's, you wouldn't have that worry if you weren't a Christian. You'd be done. You just be done, okay? So, so rejoice that the Spirit's like pissed off at you and you are grieving him seriously so that your own faith feels squished by it as you also, I think evidently, are enduring torment, which you are bringing upon yourself by investing yourself, probably regularly, in one of the places that is a access point for demons to your heart. And that's pornography, right? Uh, that uh, I don't know that it's just porn, honestly. I've said this before. I don't think the, the flickering images are so great for us. The faster they get, the, the less you can even know what they're doing. Slow it down and watch. You're not allowed to. Right? So, so that's bad. Add like the prostitution of woman combined with ancient paganism's understanding of witchcraft with regard to fertility, and you have something wherein you're participating in demonic worship without even knowing you're doing it right? Can you drink the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord? And the Lord says no. And so what happens? Someone who's not a Christian does all the stuff you do and isn't worried about it. You're a Christian and you're like tormented by it. Yeah, you are. 
because it bothers you because you don't want to do it. So here, but your question is, how do I stop, right? So, so you've been on this like, I'm doing it. I don't know how to stop. How do I stop? And this is where the idolatry issue really has to come in. Um, let me suggest that, I mean, unless porn has nothing to do with it and I'm just completely off base, but I'm just going to tell you, unplug your computer and don't turn it on. And you're like, but I have to, but I have to, but I have to. Well, then you don't want to stop with the porn, then do you? And you, know, you have some other thing going on there that's in the way. Why don't you take a week, realize you're going to keep being a fool as you walk during this week. You haven't fooled yourself out of the faith, but you're walking like a fool rather than walking wisely. And that's better language here for this kind of conversation than sin, I think. But you can talk about sin. But you, you recognize, you, I'm going to walk like a fool, but I don't want to anymore. I'm going to pray about not walking like a fool while setting up an actual discipline to prevent the thing that I know is inevitably leading to the problem. Now, if you'd told me this two years ago when I was a video gamer, I would have been like, no way, I can't do it. I would probably have been angry at what I'm saying and said that I was legalistic or something. I'm just saying, you want to stop, stop, right? This is how. It's, it's deceptive, okay? So while you open yourself to demonic torment, every time you would watch the pagan ritual of orgiatic whatever it is that pornography has always been and the ancients knew what it did and how bad it was or how good it was depending on who you're trying to worship they knew that why you know you're going to let that in your world of course it's going to lead to further things of course it's going to lead to further things you are what you see in so many ways you, you do you reflect what you see and so you're absorbing things you're not even aware of from the screen and especially when you're going to bring it close to one of the four things the apostles said to avoid right blood strangled things, we can debate what that means, uh, but blood, strangled things, porneia, and idolatry. And so the idolatry is, again, when you know you can not do something, you know it's possible, but then you just feel like you can't, right? Everyone else can, but you can't, then there's an idol involved. Does that mean you're not a Christian? No, it means you need to repent. <laughs> How do you repent? You find the idol. How do you do that? Well, pray to God. God, may I stop being an idolater? Like, say it aloud right now. Like, start with that, right? And then, okay, so before I go any further, I started by telling you you're a Christian not to worry about it, right? That God's with you, he's going to hold you, right? The Holy Spirit is in you or you wouldn't have this problem. So stay there and then take this as your second main thing if you just missed everything else I just said. Go read the red letters of Jesus starting in Matthew and don't stop whenever you feel tempted. Oh, it's too hard. What are you talking about? It's too hard. You think you're going to go do something evil. Sit in your living room, open your Bible and read the red letters of Jesus. Permit it to be so now in order to fulfill all righteousness. It is written. The, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sit down and read it until you fall asleep. If you're trying to stop from going out of your house to do evil. And if it's on the computer, unplug the machine. Turn it off at night. Do some kind of level of restriction that you trust yourself to control. And again, so if it's like, well, I, I go back and I undo it. Well, then you need to go with a higher restriction. Now, here's something else. Accountability. Don't get me wrong on this. There is no question. Historic precedent shows accountability when fighting this kind of torment is huge. This is why Alcoholics Anonymous works. It's because two or three gathered together in their just human support of each other create bonds that are stronger than the tormentors, okay? Whatever you want to let that word mean in your life, the tormentors. 
And so um, having accountability on this is important. Your pastor does serve for this as a confession absolution person. What I would really encourage you to do is get a weekly appointment that's no longer than 15 minutes in which you both know exactly what's going on. You know you fail. You know you're trying to get clear. And this is the accountability moment every week. And all he's going to do is forgive you no matter what you say. And you just keep walking with that. You get your red letters open. You start reading and praying that Psalter. You turn off that television, at least when it goes dark right? And see if that doesn't start to change you. But don't expect it to be like, oh, I'm magically Superman now. No, you need to repent. Dust and ashes. Cut off the hand, right? Pluck out the eye. It doesn't mean, (laughs) it doesn't mean shoot yourself. It doesn't mean quit your job. It doesn't mean um, do anything crazy. It simply means trust the Bible to be true rather than yourself now. And put your mouth to work for you with that belief by opening it and reading it out loud when you feel tormented. Christians will do that. It's called the sword of the spirit. It's yours to swing. It puts the armor of God on you, and suddenly you're a different person. Suddenly, for a moment, then it's gone. These are seasons. These are waves. It comes and it goes. It's up and it's down. And every day, there's going to be a flood. And every day, there's going to be a fight. And every day, there's going to be a struggle. And every day, the cross of Jesus is still underneath your feet. Every day, the Holy Spirit is still the one breathing into you so that you feel the torment and don't get comfortable and satisfied and happy to die here just as it is. Because that's not a good way to end on this planet, wanting to stay happy to die. It was all great. That is not what the Lord gives. The Lord gives an awareness of how bad it is. Even in the great days, Solomon himself writes, remember the days of winter which are coming. Now, winter is coming, by the way. He doesn't say winter. He says struggle. But but winter is coming. Winter is coming. Uh, Winter is always coming. The worry in you is the spirit. This is torment. Become a red-letter reader. Be a public speaker of the word of God. Um, And then uh, to to come back and, and circle around this distinction between folly and wisdom, and then understanding that as a way of talking about sin. Remember that the English word sin stands for like 18 some odd Hebrew words, all distinct, all for different types of things that happen, some of which are not moral, really. Actually, most of them. And yet they become moral because their cumulative result on the community is bad. <laughs> right? And so wisdom is learning to see that sin isn't just about right, wrong, because, oh, we said so, nah, nah. It's because, look, watch, bad. Oh, you did it again. That was, oh, bad. Oh, oh, more bad, right? And so over time, you're like, I'm not gonna do that. Okay, so the Bible's filled with this, right? It's it's how we are to walk. The Proverbs again teach it. The, The Psalms pray it. Jesus preaches it and is it. You have this now as God's promise to you to be wise, not a fool, Does this mean that you're never going to have original sin? That's why you bring sin into the conversation and suddenly it's about original sin. It's about the fall. It's about justification by grace versus justification by works. It's about sanctification. So all these dogmatic terminologies that make it so you can't even think about it without accidentally accusing the other person who just acted that way of being a Christian. Like, oh, that was foolish. (gasps) Oh my, I'm going to go to hell. I called him a fool. No, that's not, you're missing the point. There is a way that is good and there is a way that is evil, and you are a Christian baptized into the way that is good that keeps finding yourself on the way that is evil. Why? You're being pulled and tormented by something close to you that is wicked, which you harbor. Repent of it in the Psalter and the red letters. Don't say, I repent, and then expect magic to happen. 
Repent of it with the words you've been given to use. Be David. Live his words. That's why they're there. So you have his heart. Be Solomon. Be Asaph. Be Korah. They will make you who you are wanting to be. If you're not going to open the Bible, if you're just going to let Tupulu and his stringily, spirit-stealing machine tell you how to be and you won't even turn it off, open this thing, read it. Yeah, then you're fighting on your own. Memorize. <laughs> Memorize a lot before you get tempted and start saying it a lot when you're tempted. Hallelujah. Get that word in your mouth. Say it every day as often as you can. Say it every time you turn on the computer, every time you drive away from your house. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Say it that way if you want to. Pick a word. Maranatha. You know, come Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter. Get it out of your mouth more often. The tormentors flee from these words and we're walking around with them silent. Silent, silent tongues. The mouth, the word is, world has made us silent. Oh goodness, oh goodness. Do you want to say anything about that? What do you think? What do you think, my friend? Um, the part that gets me is, and you've spoken about this a little bit more, but where he says, it seems like the general idea is that we rarely sin. And as Christians, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> the general idea is that we don't walk as fools on purpose and that we walk wisely as best we are able and when we know it's foolish in a way that damages the community, evidently, we stop. Now, don't apply this to your private heart, to your private conversations with your family wherein you're given to be a small public, wherein the training ground of sin and forgiveness is in embryo as the family, right? With the father as the king. And in that place, indeed, everything has to be called out though. I mean, uh, the king and the queen have to talk about people's names <laughs> and how this happened and that happened and they have to render judgment, right? So in the real world, that happens too. It happens at the gate and the gate eventually becomes a town and then however that happens, it, it often gets quite corrupt as you might know. Um, so we have to distinguish between sin, meaning I'm a poor, miserable sinner. And folly, meaning a whole spectrum of things, some of which certainly are the result of being poor, miserable sinners. They're all the result of it. Um, some of which might cause you to poor, miserably sin yourself right out of the faith, and we don't really know where that line is. But you have to be able to talk about those things as things you can effectively not do if, if you feel like it. Or even when you don't feel like it, because the Spirit torments you <laughs> until you're like, I'd rather... Listen, I'd rather realize this feeling right now is, in fact, the spirit yelling at me to go away <laughs> from this, right? To afes eme, to let go, as, as Jesus said to John the Baptist, right? To permit it to be so. Meaning, permit Jesus to be in charge and that this, this whatever you're being tempted by, to know that's, that's the devil somewhere out there in your proximity. You don't have to listen to it. You just start speaking out loud, Jesus, let it be so. <laughs> I'm gonna live on the word of God, not on the bread. Yeah? So whatever you're doing out here, it ain't real, right? Uh, don't tempt me. You tempt me, you're tempting Jesus. Jesus owns me, <laughs> right? right don't, don't tell me to worship you. You should be worshiping Jesus. I worship Jesus. Jesus is actually in me. There's a mystery there, devil. Bow down, right? So like all of that, but don't say it like, why can I say it like that? Because I've been reading the red letters. That's why. Because every time that I'm in this fight, this is what I do. Is it possible? Oh man, is it possible to fall from this? Of course it is. This is not magic. This is day by day walking on the path, but that's where we must be able to say there is a path. There's a path Christians walk on. It's called believing the Bible to be true and wanting to do what it says. Do you find times when you haven't done what it says? I'm, I'm looking at my wife for that when she's doing someone's hair, but this is like, you know, do you sin? Oh, yes, you sin. You find times when you haven't done what it says. 
do you walk trying to not do what it says? There are people who do. And you should mark and avoid those people entirely. Are you that person? No, you're actually like torn in the middle, right? You're wanting to not be. So what does the Bible have to say to you? It's repent and believe the good news that Jesus is in you, that the Spirit is the one making you feel this way, and that he has provided a path of escape, and that path is the words of God. In a book that might as well be a magic tome for all anybody else would know, no one opens it. And if you open it, it actually works better than magic. Believe it or not, you just got to pray the prayers as if they belong to you, which they do because you're baptized into Jesus. And then suddenly again, you're David, you're Asaph, you're the son of God who is Jesus, not by yourself, but in the body of the church, what the whole New Testament tells you about means, you know, hands and feet, all that good stuff, because we eat his body and blood and look into the resurrection. And you're this, otherwise you wouldn't be listening. But what you're struggling with and where, you know, I, I heard Meredith is also says like, we've got this way of talking as American Christian Lutherans. So that's, that's the only group I want to accuse, okay? It's American Christian Lutherans. We got this way of talking, which has made it so we can't actually repent of sin because we can't talk about sin as if we could repent of it. It's all out there in this big, wide, kind of just me-ish thing. It's just, I'm a sinner. And the idea that I can actually find my sin, hate it, struggle with that, claw my way through grace every time, I'm still coming to church, that's it, and praying the sign, oh, I did it again, oh, have mercy, I'm a sinner. That you don't stay there, the words pull you out. But if the words are never with you, if you just want it in 15 minutes a week, you want to microwave Christianity, it's, it's not going to function. It is a life in Jesus. This is where the evangelicals, I mean, they talk about their relationship with Jesus, and we're so busy telling people why they're wrong about that that nobody has any relationship with their God. Like they're afraid to. It's like, it's like they're like, they go to the dentist on Sunday, check in, get a clean, you know? I mean, heartless, right? I was, I am, I struggle with it still. I have not overcome or attained anything other than awareness that when I find myself in my darkest moment of flashback, which for me is the worst thing I ever met, I know immediately it's not psychology. It's demonology. And whatever it is, this time it hates Jesus' words. That's, that's power in a box. I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. I mean, you are Jesus, not by yourself, not by yourself, but in him. And so when he's standing there talking, the demon's got to listen to him, not you. I mean, it's, it's really something. It's really something. I, we got another one on demons coming up that I'll answer later. I mean, it's, I, don't, I, don't act like I'm the expert. I'm just the only one talking about it. Um, go ahead. Uh, next one. Yeah. Okie doke. Next question. All right. Incise your gates and let the spittle flow. Kathy says, I will be teaching fifth and fourth graders at midweek this next school year. I am burdened with the need to help prepare them for whatever is coming without them knowing my intentions. I don't want to scare them. Last year, I taught the kids, he is risen, etc. I believe more is needed than the CPH curriculum. Any suggestions would be appreciated. So I'm thinking this is not like a, a schoolroom, that this is a midweek Sounds church like event of some kind. Yeah, thing. so it's, it's somewhere between confirmation and Sunday school. And, you know, the CPH conversation, pray for CPH, they're in a transition with leadership and whatnot. So it's, it's an important time for them. And they've been a great bastion in many ways for uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. There, there are weaknesses. And I would, I would concur that curriculum, not usually stuff I've ever used, 
So um, that aside, uh, finding a way to teach children um, historically has been a devaluing process. So this is where that Brief History of Power, Dr. Kuhn's on education, six-part episode, kid prison, you know, everywhere from ancient public schools to, <laughs> to the modern homeschool movements and whatnot, uh, and critical race theory. Um, oh, now I lost it. Hope it comes back to me. So teaching them, teaching the children is a valuable thing. Got it, yeah, yeah. So, so understanding how, that was it, understanding how... Um, serious it used to be in one way and how serious it is now in a completely different way so that what you call Sunday school is like, you know, less than a generation old as an idea, basically. It's not really been around. Not like that for very long. And, and, and so, like, don't worry too much about whether that's working, right? So, so the VBS curriculum's not that good or, or the Sunday school curriculum's not that good. It's not, it's not working. Don't worry about that so much as do what you're doing and, and just bring the Bible to the children in some way, actually. Like, like open the book. <laughs> Look, this is a magic. It's not magic. Don't tell it's not magic. It's like a magic book. All the other books are not holy. This one's holy. Look, it even says it in the cover. It's a holy Bible. Holy book. When you read it, God listens to you. And whatever you say that it says, that's what happens. Now, granted, can you misunderstand that? Yes, but you're talking to children, okay? We're, we're talking to two-year-olds and five-year-olds right now. We're just trying to tell them to trust the Bible, right? Um, just do a little of that, right? Find some Proverbs and, and, and go with them, right? Uh, open Ecclesiastes. You want to shock the high school kids, but you don't want to shock anybody, right? So you want to be subtle about what is coming. Now, that's a big, big topic. What is coming? The future, which I do not foretell, but I do, in fact, try to game. And the more I do, the more I don't want to anymore, honestly. It's just, it's just too many terrible possibilities. What happened? What happened? Did you turn me off? No, I... Turn you off? <laughs> oh, it's me now. Lots there of things go. going on. <laughs> big possibilities in the future for what is coming. I'm thinking you're along the lines of Black Swan event changing life as we know it, more pre-modern in expectation in terms of more like a third world country for getting goods unless you're very extremely wealthy, right? Like that sort of seems to be the, the consensus story among the worried. Can we, can we call it that? Um, and uh, so you want to prepare the kids for that. Well, again, the only thing that we should do differently is stop doing everything differently than we used to do it. <laughs> and we should go back to doing the things that always worked. Okay, so you know what always worked was teaching the actual Bible to people, like open the actual Bible, not another book about the Bible with things for them to color and picture. An actual Bible, you're an adult, I'm going to open a Bible, I'm going to read a little bit, I'm going to tell you what it means. One line, the story of Joseph, I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph because I know it, I read it last night, I'm going to tell you the story, you know, and and do that and then see if in, in whatever like cycle you're supposed to be teaching, those stories that are supposed to be coming up don't in fact tell you exactly what you're supposed to be talking about and if their questions don't lead you to it because <laughs> it's the word of God, right? Like, like I know we're all like, yeah, it is. But like, do you see how our practice has increasingly gravitated further and further away from trusting that all you really ever needed was this thing? I mean... Honestly, the church got by without this for quite a while. Uh, well, they had the old one. That's right. You, all you really ever needed was the old one. There you go. New Testament Christian, Hebrew, Greek, Greek convert. All you get is that and the Lord's Supper. And trust your pastor. 
<laughs> so, like, I mean, we got the New Testament now all the way in there. It's in English. I mean, that, that, that has an interesting little challenge to it because it is a translation, but all the same, right? So something about subtle teaching, though. Um, be really careful uh, with subtle teaching. Uh, I, certainly there's a time where when you're working with a, a friend, a neighbor, a countryman, a child, uh, anybody, you just realize, if I open my ma- mouth right now, this isn't going to go well, but I can, I can hold it, I can kind of regurgitate it, and I can, I can like help lead toward a better future that is in line with my concern without necessarily having to be giving a full voice to my concern. That's, that's, that's a measure of you know, clarity right there. So um, uh, good on you for wanting to do that. But don't deceive, right? Um, if, if you really are concerned about uh, a, uh, a future that will scare the children, um, well, then the children have to be uh, scared a little bit, don't they? Now, the way I would do that, again, is trying to emphasize how much what happened in the Bible is the real world in terms of violence, in terms of the way other people treat each other, in terms of how you should expect to be treated by the Philistines when you're a Christian, right? Um, Getting into that, uh, seeing that the Bible believes in miracles, the Bible doesn't even care if you think you're an atheist. That just means you're a fool that's going to hell. So, yo, see you later, man. Um, Like, it's, it's just a different way of approaching everything. So open it and start reading it out loud almost anywhere that you feel comfortable. You kind of know what it says, and then, again, does that mean all the kids are going to perk up and be really interested? Not necessarily. I mean, if you've got high school kids, they're going to be apathetic no matter what you do because their spirit sucked. You know, they've just been, they just been pulled right out of them. But the younger kids, I mean, again, tell the story in your old wor- own words. Memorize a song and sing it, right? Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different ways to go at that. Uh, I would say if they're not already memorizing a creed, like if you're bouncing around between creeds in your services, say one creed every week in that, in that class. Uh, to pick one, I'd pick Nicene. Um, but you know, you want to prepare for persecution and being underground. Memorize your creed. One long one, the, the the solid one that tells us stuff. Right? Apostles are good, but Nicene tells us a lot more. Memorize it, because what happens if they take this away? What you got? Right? Again, start reading a psalm every week. Read the same psalm. Pick one. Do it every week with them until they memorize it. Tell them you're going to memorize it with them. Put it in their heart. Make them say it out loud. Right? Discipline them the way you would a tree when you make the tree grow and it's in the wind, right? That, that kind of thing. So you got anything to add to that? Well, I, I was thinking about how she said she's teaching fifth and fourth graders and our son is a fifth grader mm. or he was a fourth grader now going to be a fifth grader. So that's our son's age. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of think For about think his about level and what he responds to. My thought is the repetition uh-huh. is really good. I yeah. know that that in um, PTSD survivors on down to children mm. provides comfort in times of trial. So right. Right. Um, doing some sort of... Well, boys that age, you've noticed, or, are listening even if they don't look like they're listening. Right. pointed that out a lot too. So not to be discouraged by it, the girls are very attentive and ready to talk. So, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it actually probably should be said. Like consider splitting them up like at that age really the difference is starting to get palpable and you want a serious conversation get the boys and the girls separate from each other how do you do that was in i don't know talk to your pastor right and say you know this was a crazy suggestion from a crazy guy on the internet i'm sorry to bring a problem to your church but he suggested maybe we could try this with this one class for my own sake i mean i don't know i don't know but as i think about it like trying to have a conversation with 
like Fides and Trinity, and then three Trinities in the room, the whole class would be me and the Trinities and the the boy. He, but he'd pick up from listening though too, and that's where you don't want to lose that. They do pick up from listening. They do. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't change anything other than we, we, the Bible has to be the tool that we trust to use. And if the resources feel like they're not enough, it's because they don't apparently trust the Bible to be enough. Otherwise, we'd want to use them more. It's just a fact. So, yeah. Yeah, let's move on. Flies. Got one. <laughs> okay says, hi, pastor. So my wife, married 21 years, has now told me she doesn't believe homosexual homosexuality is a sin, that the man is not to be head of the household, and women should be allowed to teach in church because men added that to the Bible to control people and women. That she believes Jesus loves all, and that most of the Bible is true, but these parts are added or taken out of context. Example, the word homosexual was in the Bible until 1946. She feels I'm wrong, but doesn't feel the need to change me or show me her truth, as that is up to God, as she cannot judge me. She wasn't like this when we met, when we met, yes, or when we got married, but over time, her view has progressed away from Bible truth, many different things over time, and I admit I have not been the perfect husband either. Nothing I try to say, even in a loving way, or try to show without trying to be overwhelming her, matters. Oh, without trying to be overwhelming. Okay, sorry. Second page. <laughs> Um, I pray and know I have to trust God, but this has been heartbreaking. And to make things worse, she opened up about, no, opened about this. She is open about this around our children, 12, 16, and 18, all who live with us too, but they tend to take mom's side on things. I'm afraid they are starting to lean away as well based on conversations with them. I know I can't leave her for this, and I don't want to. I still love her so much, but I don't know how this is going to work going forward. I wish I could talk to my pastor about this, but I'm afraid he would be, unfortunately, harsh in his reaction toward her and only push her further away from church. I pray and am trying to trust Jesus on this one, but this is hard. Mm -hmm. Not sure what to do from here. Anonymous. So sonsofsolomon.net, if you haven't yet begun praying those psalms every single day, do it. Do it. Okay, push her further away. Um, you're going you're gonna to go talk to your pastor then after that, and you're going to do the thing you're afraid of. And if what happens that you're afraid of happens, then you're going to say, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. That's what was supposed to happen. Because the word of God does not return void. The word of God does what it's supposed to do. And if your wife happens to be a fool who's going to make herself a hardened sinner, you can do nothing about it. And if you try to stop the servants of God from speaking to her according to their call, you don't help her. You make it worse. So I tell you, pray and talk to your pastor and get his advice on the day-to-day on how to deal with this. Being concerned that your children are going to go the way of the world is understandable 
believing marriages where both parties fully believe have the same fear and potential in this age of complete, again, distraction (laughs) and deception. Prayer is again your solution, but now, again, pray the Sons of Solomon Psalms out loud, like at your dinner room table. Do it where you can be seen. Don't do it where they have to see it. Just create a pattern, be public, and pray. And then, honestly and with integrity, talk to your children regularly about the truth of Scripture. Don't go at the topic. Don't go at homosexuality. Talk about some really cool story you just read about. Talk about what was in the litany or in the liturgy that week in the lectionary, what story it was and how it was valuable. Figure out how it mattered to your heart and try to say something about that to the people who matter most to you. Um, Those are the only things that really matter in all of this. Your suffering, (laughs) as mine is right now, your suffering is, um, it is what it is, right? Whenever you face the cross in your life, it is not what you want. It's not going to be. It can't be. It's, It's the death of what you want. It's the end of your idolatry. It must be, right? So um, what you will do is you're going to pick up the cross and you're going to keep following Jesus. So you're going to go straight to the prayers. If you've already been praying on this, great. You stay on it. You know how good they are. You know how valuable they are. You take the tier two and tier three when they come out this fall. You become the red letter reader and you take that Psalm 119 daily task, yeah? Um, You keep being the man of prayer Believing that your sanctification, meaning your set-apartness, your holiness because the word of God is in you, with you, part of you, sanctifies and makes them holy too. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians. Yeah, That the unbeliever is made holy by the believer. Does that mean saved? No, it does not in fact mean saved. It means potentially saved. It means that the, the word of God is active in their life. Right. It also means that the struggle against torment is going to be real here too, right? Because now you've got a divided communion in the home and divided words make for a divided place. Uh, where did all of this come from, right? How did she find her way to this completely different place? Um, was there missing conversation, right? Um, and it, what do you do? Don't search your heart in such a way so as to say, woe is me, it was me, it was me, oh Jesus, it was me. Don't do that. Instead, search your heart in such a way so as to say, whatever I have done that has brought me to this place, Lord Jesus, open my eyes, that I might walk as a man of integrity and freedom, even watching my own house crumble, if that is what you ask of me for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm giving you the, the worldly worst case scenario, which is that she never believes and all your kids fall away and you go to paradise and rejoice eternally because Jesus has risen from the dead. From there, again, throw your heart into the prayers of the suffering servant. Throw your heart in the prayers of the one who knows that the, wa- the lashes and, and the, the, the rocks and the pain must be endured for the sake of the joy and then believe that he's having you endure this for a purpose unto a reason and that reason is your salvation and that of all the elect. And so those who are elect in your household, tell them they're elect. Remind them that they are in Christ. I, I, Jesus loves everyone. He does. That's why he talks. Do you read him? You ever heard what he said? Should, let's, let's read what he said together at night. One, one verse of red letters together at the table. Probably not where you want to go. My guess is right now that would instigate a fight. Right now your weapon is, is prayer, integrity, and a fellowship with Christian men of like mind to support you. That's what your, your game is right now. And then it's be the husband you, you want to be, right? And particularly the father you want to be, When it comes to, you love Jesus and you want people to know about it. Remember that. Remember that's what it's about. It's not about how you're wrong. It's about how Jesus is risen from the dead and that means something 
that means something. So if you want to be a fool, I mean, your wife is saying, I'm going to be a fool, I've chosen to be a fool. I know the Bible says don't be a fool, but people put that in. Okay. I mean, okay. What do you say, honey? Well, whenever um, husbands and wife teams, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when they face trials, it's a chance to exercise those vows that we said yeah. that began this whole journey, right? The yeah. um, richer for poor in yeah. sickness and health. Yeah. This is a time of spiritual sickness for her. And um, so mm. definitely walking beside her and knowing that Christ is going to strengthen your faith as you dive deeply into his word to yeah, try to support so well said. your own faith through this yeah, and be a light in her world. So the tendency is the bad thing happens and I think, I don't know how I could go on. I don't know how I can live like this with this cross. And well confessed by Meredith there, God says, oh, I gave it to you so you're going to live better. Stronger, truer. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All things work for the good. Romans 8. Go check that one out. We're going to take a three-minute break, get this garage door open, get some air in here, get some light in here, maybe get a little better shot, and right be back with lots of your questions. Still got a big pile coming. We may go an extra hour this morning. The Mad Christian Saturday morning chill with Jonathan and Meredith. Stick around. Hey, Internet, Jesus Christ is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. You found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Show with Jonathan and Meredith. More of your questions, Bible's answers, are nonsense here at Fortune Square Gardens in Rockford, Illinois. Meredith, what we got next on the docket? Let's see. Next is from David. Hi, Fisk. I want to know what you think of an idea that I am becoming more convinced of. Nothing is neutral. This isn't a fully formed idea for me but it's in the process. For example, the world is good in one sense because it is created. It is also bad in another sense because it is fallen and sinful. A tree is good because it provides oxygen, while a tree that falls on a house is bad because it has caused destruction. Truth is good because it exists, and lies are not reflective of reality, so they are bad. I'm not using good and bad in a specifically moral way, though I think a case can be made for that. I struggle to find a proper definition for good and bad, but I think that's because they're in response to non-standard case-specific questions. I think this concept is observable, but the world really dislikes the idea that neutrality doesn't exist. What do you think? I agree with that last part, particularly. The world struggles with the idea of neutrality not existing. Um, uh, they, they don't want you... Uh, I, let me come back to that, though, because I'm not sure that everything else you said makes it worth spending time on that, and here's why. Um, we are dealing with, you are dealing with a language that is diluting. English is in a struggle for principled words, for words that don't change their meaning or for words that have substance that we can agree on. So when I say good, when you hear good, it's such a wide word. It has been used so fully that it doesn't really mean anything except for not bad, but people disagree upon what that means, right? So you have this this not principal word anymore that used to be. It used to be a primary word. Everyone knew what good was. Everyone knew what bad was. Now we don't know. Now we don't know. And so what you're dealing with, again, is a language in collapse, 
which we know because of the curse of Babel is always going on. But it would seem, this is my guess here a little bit, that the languages tend to collapse as the civilizations collapse. You know, the, the, the ability to tell the truth and for your words to tell the truth has a lot to do with how many lies have been told with those words over time. And we're living in a time of compounding lies. Let me tell you, the gaslight is strong with us, yeah? And so... Uh, trying to find words that actually reflect your reality. That's what you're trying to do, but you're kind of dancing around these, uh, again, neutral terms without a baseline. So let me suggest to you again that the language of the Proverbs and the Bible as a whole is a better baseline for this kind of conversation. Wise versus foolish right now, way better language than good versus bad. Good versus bad, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, we can make a case for why that's true, right? I'm talking about getting a bang for your buck with understanding as you try to figure out what your actual principled view of the world is. Um, okay, so neutrality then becomes just a, a, mul- <laughs> a multivalent term. Um, you know, are you talking about how in, in there's no such thing as, as a neutral atom, you know, or, or there are no neutrons per se, uh, in the whole idea of positive, negative, gravity, electricity, all this kind of stuff? It's not really what you're getting at. But then uh, there is some place when you're absolutely right on this too, and I want to say this very, very hard. When we're talking about creation, there is no bad. There is no bad creation. There is no evil creation. There is corruption of the good creation. So in that way, nothing is neutral because everything is good. And this is what I continue to preach to you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Romans 8 Catholicism, Romans 6 Evangelical Baptist theology, right? That there is no condemnation now for those who have been put into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All things work for the good of those who are in Jesus Christ. So there is no bad anymore. The worst bad that ever was, we killed God when he came to save us. It's the best thing there ever was. Jesus died on the cross to save us. It's, it's all upside down now, right? So then, um, remembering that God created all things good, that our experience of bad is the corruption of the world, but God has redeemed all things good for those who are in him as the elect, and we can see how that's working. Though it's not according to the way the world thinks. It's according to the cross of Christ. We can see how that's working. Um, thereby, there is, in fact, no such thing as neutrality. There is only... Good, there's only the resurrection. Does that mean you never experience anything you could call bad? No, of course, there's all sorts of things that happen that are bad, right? So then, wh- how do we talk about those? Well, again, bad is like this moral word. So maybe stop using bad for what happens when you have a mistake. A mistake is not bad. There's nothing moral or evil about your mistake. It just is something that happened. It could even be funny if you want it to be, right? So it, it, it's not bad. Can you even think it's good? The Bible teaches you can. It's kind of hard, <laughs> right? But so a mistake is a different thing than, say, a mass murder shooting event, right? That's bad. That's really, really bad. Don't do that, right? Well, but we, maybe that's evil. It's evil, Right? Good and evil is maybe a better even combo than good and bad. Um, I, I don't know. How do you replace the word good in English with something that means only true good? Uh, that's a difficult thing. But, so now, I wanted to say, I want to come back to that last thing he said and see if I can address that now that I said all of this. So what was, you say the last thing he said, the world does not I like neutrality? Think, is that right? Yeah, I think this concept is observable, but the world really dislikes the idea that neutrality doesn't exist. Uh, right. So, where, where Frisbee the Hand, when she was uh, riffing on this uh, as she prepped me for it, said, it sounded like you were going, is that when the world says, like, um, hey, you need to call this boy a girl. And you're like, I'm going to talk. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm cool. You guys go do your thing. We're going to do our thing. That that's not good enough for the false religion. And so in that way, the false religion never really accepts neutrality from those who will not submit to Caesar, to Mammon, to Baal, all that kind of thing. The devil does not accept neutrality. 
evil insists that there's no neutrality, right? But the good also, as I made the case here, kind of insists that. So, so you're right in a sense, right? You're certainly right, but I would be really careful with the word neutral as it's not, it's not a principled word from the Bible. Right? Where do you get this as a concept out of the Bible? Neutralness, right? It doesn't sound like anything good, actually. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I, I'd be careful with it. And I suggest that what you're really after is some first principles. So most people would say read Plato at this point. I'm going to say read Solomon at this point, and, and that'll give you what you're after there. So thoughts? I think, I think you covered it. Cool beans. Let's move on. Crush, trample, tread. Yeah. Okay, this says, Hey, Rev Fisk, I'm curious to get your thoughts on ministering to people with disabilities. As a future seminarian, I have contemplated things like prison ministry or joining Pastor Wolfmuller and taking up sign language to reach more people with the gospel, but I always feel I want to do more. However, when I'm in public, I see someone with a disability, I feel conflicted. On the one hand, I feel compelled to go to them and tell them their sins are forgiven in Jesus and that they are made new in Him. At the same time, I do not want to be awkward and draw attention to them because of their disability. They are just as worthy to hear the gospel, but I want to be respectful and polite. People with disabilities are included in all nations, and Jesus would always go to them. And we should be imitators of Christ. I'm going to get the second part of this question real quick. And it's kind of buried. (laughs) So I always try to like talk okay. through this just to keep things going. So I should do that. Thank you. There I went. That I would talked. be really helpful. I'm, I have a way of just saying words. <laughs> okay. You now your face listening. is completely covered with question. So, um, but I also wonder if this is where American Christianity gets off the wagon and wants to be pharisaical, making a big show in the public square about the good work they do. I want to be like Christ, but I also do not want to be seen when I do it. Kind of like a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing ninja. I appreciate your guidance. God bless. Zachary. So it, our Lord definitely says, do not do your works to be seen by men. And go in your closet and pray and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think you have to get over that in terms of, that's not like, you're not allowed to be seen. Be a ninja. Never let anyone see that you did good. Like, that's... It's not going to work out. I mean, what Santa Claus, the real one, say Nick, right, threw the gold ball in the thing at night so they wouldn't know who it came from. Maybe there's a time and a place for that kind of, what, um, ninja kindness. Go for it. Be unseen. But I, I think better to get over it and just be seen as a Christian and maybe realize that's the actual struggle to begin with, right? That's, that's the larger battle we all have to face. And for a particular reason, you've, you've got a heart for or you see people who are often unseen themselves, right? People who uh, the eyes of most people look away from them and don't want to stay on them because we're made uncomfortable by things that are not perfect. And that's what, you know, the television Stepford life we live in has created for us, you know, Candyland and all that. Uh, so, so that's great that you see the unseen. You, you see the poor. This is the way the Bible talks about all the afflicted or the, the struggling, those who in this life don't have it as easy as those who do have it easy. Um, and you want to help them. That's good. That's good. And so you're a seminarian. You want to speak the gospel. That's good too. Um, one thing about the word disability, so like, like prison's not a disability. Um, it's a special service kind of situation. 
uh, even the word disability is, is, it's like the word vaccine. There's just a lot of different things that can mean. And so I would be careful about saying things like, I want to share the gospel with people who have disabilities. I'd get after just more biblical language again. I want to find the poor in spirit. Right? I want to find those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, or I don't want to turn my eyes away from the poor. Maybe that's a really good way to think of it because that's both Old and New Testament language, to remember the poor. Uh, I want to remember the poor. Now, here's something that's interesting, though. As you're wanting to remember the poor and you're seeing them in front of you, your first instinct is to make satisfaction for them in some like astronomical, cosmological way. Like you say, I want to run up and tell them about Jesus. And I don't want to tell you don't do that. But I want to ask you, when you say, I want to do more and more, and you really are pressed by this, like, what's pressing you? Is it just the Holy Spirit, or are you actually trying to escape from something else that's in front of you? And there is a, a tendency within just Christianity across the board, kind of bad devotion, where we can use mission, go figure, we can use mission as our foil for what we really want to do that isn't what's obviously what we're supposed to do because it's what's in front of us. Mission always means going somewhere else, right? Rather than dealing with what's in front of us. So it's always exciting. It's always a way to avoid the problems. It's always a way to say we're doing something for Jesus and not actually uh, be confronted by him. So what are you trying to satisfy with this mission? Do you believe that it is up to you personally to elect these people or they won't be elected? Um, and if your answer is no, no, of course not, well then great, great. Let that all run through you and just think about like you're after ultimately telling people that Jesus has risen from the dead, right? Like regardless of who they are, you happen to see the unseen, that's great. You want to help in public. Okay, here's where it gets kind of awkward, right? Because if you run up to someone in public and just pretend like you know them, they're going to be afraid of you. If you go up to them and tell them, I'm going to help you now, here, let me help you. They do this all the time without you. So you're actually kind of maybe, again, scaring them. So what can you do? How do you help in public? And my answer to you is this. You got to be prepared. So what you're doing right now is you're letting your heart kind of lead you. You have a lot of feelings. You want to do more. But what you're not doing is preparing to do one thing, like once, right? So I suggest do this, right, as your, as your trial run here. Why don't you be prepared when you go out from your home to have a gift to give to someone who you see who you think needs something good. I can think of a couple things. I can think of a flower. I can think of a, a nice bottle of something to drink, you know, a rain or a, a, a high quality, I don't know, juice, a kombucha or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I can think of something that you would like to have maybe, right? And just with regularity, maybe once a week, maybe it's too much to do it every time. You take it out, and when you see someone, you just give it to them. You say, you know what? I saw you. I thought you could have it. This would make your day today. And by the way, here's a small catechism from, C from CPHTM, right? Uh, you, uh, I'd hand out a small catechism, a little paperback once, uh, at the same time. And that way, rather than try to insert myself into the life as like the, the king of pity on their behalf, like, oh, poor you. Let me tell you how much your life must suck, and I have better news for you. Like, instead, I'm just going to go and try to be a good person to that person today, right? And then have a way for the future to lead them to Jesus, right? There's some other thing in there and just put a proverb on a card, throw it in there. It'll, it'll do, that'll probably do more than the small catechism will because they'll read that. Eh? Uh, so, so I think, you know, narrowing down to a simple discipline and creating a habit of that discipline and then saying like, look, look, you have a life you're supposed to attend to that's in front of you. 
That involves real people. And you're at the seminary right now. What you should be doing with those guys is forming bonds that you know you can trust the rest of your life because you guys are about to go out to war. You think you're in the same army. You're not. You're mercenaries being cast out into the abyss. We're fighting demons, and you need to be ready. So find some guys you can trust. Find some guys who believe what you believe. Start praying together. Start being sons of Solomon together. Start working on the words of Jesus together so they're memorized. You can say them when you talk to people. And if they talk to them, it's amazing. It's amazing if you start memorizing the scripture. You don't have to think about what verse to say. Someone will say something and poof, something just came in your head and maybe you know where it was from. Maybe you don't. You just say it. That thing, you just, just say it. You know what I said? Yes, I love this. I couldn't believe this one. Where was this? Um, I'm not going to share what this one was. I was at a place. <laughs> I was shopping. And, and the person behind the screen was a person with a lot of kind of American young person look, right? They don't fit at like the standard church. And something went wrong on the computer. I couldn't believe it. Right out of my mouth, I was like, yeah, computers are from the devil. She goes, I know, right? I was like, yeah. And I just shook my head. And then I walked on. It was it. But I, like, like, I just, right there, I told some pagan what her problem was. And like, it, was, it was, anyway. Um, there's the old card. There we go. Uh, what are you trying to satisfy? Get ready to be seen, Christian. Stand up. It's all right. It's not bad to stand apart. It's good to be set apart. Uh, and forward the gospel by believing enough ahead of time to plan to have something that universally applies to everybody so when you see whoever happens to be poor today, you can meet them where they are and give them something that pushes them back into Scripture, into Jesus, yeah? Yeah, that's my answer. Woo! Yeehaw. Uh... Let oil ad- adorn your crown. Okay. What if I chose a side? Another <laughs> Say it out loud. Fight back. God bless. Hallelujah. Ooh, look Elisha in the eye. That's a good one. Okay. So, yeah, now, so if you just stand up straight and you'll be able to peek through the tiny little window I've created for you. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Okay. Hi, Pastor Fisk. My question is, admittedly, on a very sensitive topic. It is about divorce and remarriage. Specifically, those who remarry another person while their first spouse is still alive, or those who marry a divorced person whose first spouse is still alive. My take on this, based upon the teachings of Jesus, Paul, and the first five centuries of the early church fathers, is that such people are in an ongoing adulterous relationship and so should not be given Holy Communion for as long as this situation persists, except except perhaps if they are dying. I'm wondering what your take on this and what what your take is on this and whether or not the position I hold is tenable within confessional Lutheranism. I'm aware that my position would come across as overly strict to many people and I fully empathize with people who are divorced because of abuse. However, as someone who is currently in seminary studying to be a Lutheran pastor in Australia, my highest priority is faithfully teaching and upholding the word of God, regardless of what others may think about me or doing so. Anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this. God bless you and your family, Sean. Awesome. So, uh, Google Jonathan Fisk issues, etc. Divorce, and it's like 2008 oh. or 2010, but it should be the. I don't. I think it's the only time, and it was just the topic of divorce. Just me. Uh, it's about, about an hour one time, and so that answer is going to be more biblically tuned 
in the terms of I'm going to give you specific verses and stuff than, than my answer now. My answer now is to say that you're absolutely right in every way, shape, and form except for one. And that one is where Paul allows for those who have been abandoned to no longer be enslaved to a non-Christian that has no intention of ever returning to the marriage. Now, with that said, and that's like super clearly and actually what it says in 1 Corinthians, okay? Um, with that said, that has been the camel's snout under the tent through which the whole camel has come into the tent in our modern scenario, right? So um, it has been overapplied to a level where it's really hard to say what does it mean to be abandoned anymore since anyone who wants an annulment and isn't a Roman Catholic gets to just say they've been abandoned, right? Roman Catholicism made it easier. You just pay for the annulment and all this. Um, pretend it never happened, folks. Pretend it never happened, except it did. We'll just say it didn't and pay for it. So, you know, it, the fact is this. Marriage is the law of creation, which has a bind on your soul until death. You died when you were baptized. You're dead alive in Jesus. So if and when and where that which has a claim on your soul until death runs into the grace of Jesus Christ, it loses in those scenarios and those scenarios only, which are these. Then in the grace of Jesus Christ, you be a divorced person and faithfully committed to the word and sacraments of your Lord until his return. Find that there's another person of such a heart and mind and soul that wants to marry you and a church is faithful and the pastor agrees. And you're even young enough to have kids together. And it's just like, he's got a second chance. Redemption. Paul kind of says it's okay. So you want to have mercy more than sacrifice, right? You're a seminarian. Go and learn what this means. You think I'm making this up? You want mercy, not sacrifice. Does that mean you get rid of the sacrifice? No, no, no. The sacrifices are there because they're true. But what does God desire most? You know, law or gospel, if you want to use those terms. Which kind of righteousness are we going to deal with? Does he want, is he most concerned right now with that you get your little bit of you right? Or is he most concerned ultimately that you're in him? Right? Because if you're in him, the, the, the rest of you is going to become right eventually. Hmm? I feel like I could have concluded that better. But, uh, 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 uh. Say something. Give me something else to feed on that. There's, um, read like the last line again or something. Oh, good. Oh, no. I went off the Because <laughs> I want to say more about it. It was good. Okay. Um, the last line is, he doesn't care what other people think about him. He wants to uphold the word of God. And Right. So, which is where, okay, on this topic, uh, so hot. On this topic, on the topic of closed communion, Probably some others like how you deal with porn in the congregation amongst Christian men. Um, these are things where you don't get like a nice little peeper quote about the proper distinction on how to do it right. You just don't get that. What you get is broken people in broken lives. Some want Jesus, some don't. It's not always easy to tell and you're trying to turn those who don't into those who do even though you can't. <laughs> but God does, by the words that he speaks, you're supposed to apply those without prejudice. That is equivalently to all. Uh, there, there's no partiality in what the scriptures say. Uh, so standing upon mercy, uh, clinging to the inerrancy of scripture, you're going to find all sorts of situations where 
it's not nearly so easy to know precisely what to say if you're looking for a dogmatic answer. But again, I'm going to tell you that the Psalter, the Proverbs, and the words of Jesus will have the right words for you to say in those moments. And from there, you might actually be able to figure out what theology you were talking about later. Oh, I just, oh that was two kingdoms. Look at that. You know, but, but it'll come about because the words of Christ are made to be everlasting, right? And what we as American, Christian, Lutheran, English speakers of the devolving language are stuck in, these words have just been squished. And now we're trying to talk about God with them, and they don't mean anything, right? It doesn't even get me going. Yeah, it doesn't get you going. There's a reason for that, right? Um, so, I mean, what's the solution is to let the Bible define these words again. Spend more time in the Bible than you do in other things that define words. Yeah. Um, so, and that way, again, be prepared to stand with people who don't need you to tell them they're wrong they know they're wrong. They're uneducated, perhaps, immature, for sure, more short-sighted than you are. You're their pastor. They're the sheep. And they need you to guide them. And, you know, you want to guide them not to divorce. And then if there's a divorce, you want to guide them, well, in grace, but without license. I mean, it's not, it's, there's no easy way. It's just the cross. It's close communion, same problem. Same, or same solution. Hmm. Yeah. That's a hard situation for people to be in because it's almost like as, um, as Christians, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to, we want to pretend it didn't happen. I mean, but spiritually and emotionally, it's as if that person has died. Yeah. And yeah. so they're having to grieve all by themselves. Yeah. And so that's a, it, it's tough. It's a very rough position to be in. And again, the kids, the kids have it worse than the adults when that happens too. So it's never something to teach toward or for, but you're going to be dealing with lots of Christians that already have. And if your solution is just to tell them they're wrong, like they know that. They don't want to say it. They know it. So what you want to do is convince them that God has forgiven them of the thing that they're still carrying since they're your sheep, right? These aren't people on the street. These, these are your sheep. Convince them that it's been forgiven so that they can walk free and, and learn how to do better now, right? Actually, the people on the street need the same gospel. That's why they'd come in afterwards. Ikes, Ikes, Ikes. Ready to move on? I am. I am, I am ready now this time. Good. I have got it up. Dear Pastor Fisk and Meredith. Oh, hi. Hi, Jana. I've always been a mild-mannered woman, wanting to accommodate and avoid confrontation. I've gotten better at being assertive over things like that matter, but the assertiveness has taken practice and is accompanied by calm emotions. But this whole mandatory masking has made me extremely, and then she puts it in little sideways marks, angry. Enraged, even. I've never been this angry so consistently in my entire life. Muzzling children in schools, the worship of the cloth without end, it makes me so angry. I want to say expli- oh no. <laughs> Explet- expletive. Oh no. Expletive. Like I can't even say the word, which I've never wanted to do. I don't know how to deal with this anger. Do you have any, any advice for me? <laughs> Do you have any advice for how to A, channel the anger into constructive avenues such as protest, civil disobedience, and if that's appropriate, how? Um, And B, oh, if it's appropriate and how, and B, calm the anger so I don't become irrational and am able to think clearly and speak clearly. Thank you for your help. 
How beautiful are the feet of those who speak the gospel of peace. P.S. Thank you for shaking the paper when answering questions. This makes me happy. Oh, I backed away from it. I got to bring it back. <laughs> Shake the paper. Hey, so you're going to go pick up a book. Uh, go to a local bookseller. Stop, uh, stop, stop letting Amazon run the planet. Go to a local bookseller. Have them order it because uh, that's what they'll do. But ha- you know, support your local bookseller. Go get yourself a copy of Crucial Conversations, a secular book. This is the answer to how do you like get control of your adrenal glands in a conversation and have real clear... Um, wisdom-like tactics for uh, continuing that conversation when the stakes are high, which is whenever your adrenaline rises. Um, uh, Crucial Conversations is an an excellent resource for that. Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I I, I really am. And you know what? I used to think that about Psalm 119. I thought it sounded like a broken record. And now I'm glad (laughs) that the tune never dies. Um, Channel your anger. I love the question. How do I channel my anger? I love it because, again, I'm on this comic book kick of, like, my whole life's a comic book. You're just a comic book in a much bigger story. The overlap between magic and Christianity is just, it just plays with my imagination right now. Largely because the world is so upside down, so backwards, that everything it says you should be able to do with magic and all the stories and the books and whatever they're a lot more like what the Bible actually has happened than like actually the magic that you would think, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to do. Now, the crazy thing is what people are actually doing is the magic that the Bible says not to do. You know, Wiccanism, paganism, that's all on the rise. And how much is behind, like I mentioned earlier, all the pornea and all that. And it's certainly, it's there. The idolatry is there. Uh, so the idea of channeling as a, as a magical cast so now that I have this, this mana I have stored up, which is my rage, you know, how do I then put it into the power I send forth for good? Right? Which, it's a great question, really. You know, and you take it out. It's not magic. It's just your emotions, right? But I, I love thinking about it in the magical terms because it's fun. Uh, and the word channel is a fun word. But what you're dealing with, again, is how do I take what's inside of me, exercise self-control, and then become the person I want to be, which is a kind person, right? And anger Good as anger is, since it's a godly attribute, is generally not used for kindness. Although, it can be. I can fuel the kindness. It really can. Um, I don't want to tell that story right now, because I did something unseen. So, we'll leave it like that. But, um, I'm going to tell you this. Next time you're angry, go pray to Psalm 12. Out loud. In your garage. At full voice. There you go. Channeling your anger right there. Open the book of magic to spell incantation number 12 and channel the power of the Holy Spirit of God into the age. And actually, all that I just said was entirely true. And that's why I like the magic riff, even though magic's definitely wrong. Don't do magic. Read your Bible. (laughs) But like, it's better. It's the same thing and you want to know what to do with your anger. Put it into the Psalter. There are so many Psalms for anger. And this is what I said earlier, but like, American Christians, you read the Psalter, you're going to start wondering if we've been Christians for a while because there's all these emotions we're supposed to feel because the Psalter says them and we're not allowed to, but one of them is what you're feeling. One of them is what you're feeling. So get in there. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That was a poem years and years ago. Your mouth is full of curses and bitterness, though, so this is just it. Your soul is overwhelmed by the prosperity of the proud. The wicked man has prospered under God's grace. And has lifted up himself to such height that he believes he may tread upon the poor without recourse. That he may overturn the things of God because God cannot see. And as a result, the group soul, the communal 
spiritual reality of anybody who believes in Jesus is going to be tormented. We're going to be bothered by the collapsing, wicked, barbaric civilization that's around us. And the natural reaction, the good and healthy reaction to evil is anger because you have to defend yourself against the evil and anger helps you do that. Fear, well, you could be afraid of it. Instead, many people are. You happen to be afraid of Jesus, so you're angry at what's going on instead. That's where you're supposed to be. What do you do? Channel it into the Psalms, the magic spells for anger, right? I mean, what, what do you want to call it? You know, the Psalms of imprecation, the Psalms against the world. And there are so many and they're so good and they're exactly what you need and they're why you're angry. And the Lord Jesus is trying to get you to join with the Holy Church throughout history, praying the same song over and over again, many a time. They have plowed on my back. Let Israel now say, Many a time they have plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. Blessed be Jesus Christ, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. The cord is broken. We have escaped. Oh, I mean, it's so good. It's so good. So that's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's it. You've never considered yourself an angry person because you were lukewarm. You forgot your first love. God said, 2020. And we all had to go, oh, yeah. Our generation's about to fall off of Christianity. Let's not. And many of us don't want to. So welcome back. Let's pray. Here we go. Prayer. Prayer. I raise an hallelujah. Amen. Wesley Clark says, ever knowingly performed an exorcism? Oh, yes. No. (laughs) I said, oh, yes, to the question because it's a good question. The answer is no. Keep going, though. He goes on to say, the deliberate right, I mean. Yeah, no. Would you ever consider performing one if not? Yes. Was it ever brought up at seminary? Um, only in backroom conversations and mythological stories about things that happened long ago. And one guy who had an, he was working on his master's and he didn't finish. He was strange. And I don't think they liked what he was saying, honestly. It just kind of seemed like he was pushing on the wrong buttons. Um, and so, yeah, no one really talked about it. His book, he gave, gave me a copy of his book on a, as a PDF. I've lost it. It was called A House Swept Clean. I wish I hadn't. There's another gentleman who's done work on this. He, uh, I'm going to lose his name now off the top of my head. He works with Luther Academy, I think, as well. Um, and uh, and they have, uh, uh, he has a book called I Am Not Afraid, which is definitely worth looking at. Uh, the resources on this, again, are few and far between, especially in English, you need to read German and French, apparently, to, to look into most of this. Um, I'm aware of a Roman Missal for exorcism that is in Latin, which I'd love to get a hold of, although at the same time, I, I, how did this go? I've had, like in the last three weeks, I had the same question come up in different ways, wherein Latin was being given preference over Greek by Christians with regard to the Bible proper, so or or other languages. So I had one question was like, why was the Bible written in Greek and not Aramaic? Since Aramaic's when they all spoke, right? So again, it was pushing away from Greek. The other one was someone had been talking to some Roman Catholics who basically said the Latin. Can't remember how they said it, but, but the Latin was was they knew the Latin text, and so it was true, not the Greek text. And I couldn't believe they. Even Rome would say that the Latin text is preferable to the Greek. I couldn't, maybe they do say that. Maybe that's actually, I know they, they, they push to the Latin text. All right, what's our question? Oh, uh, exorcism. So, so I'm convinced of this. When Jesus says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, that that's actually all we got. And so um, my answer is yes, I'd be willing to. And what I would do is what I've been telling you. I would open, 
depending on what I felt like at that moment, I'd open the red letters and go. And I'd re- open the Psalter and I'd go. And I would just keep going. I'd call for friends. I'd ask them to pray too. I'd get as many people praying as possible. I'd try to be in the word itself and I wouldn't give up. Um, if we really believe that person's possessed, if we really are convinced this, they're rolling the ground, foam of the mouth, whatever, you know, then the answer is prayer. The answer is not to cast. The answer is not to take pride. The answer is not to think that you're in charge. The answer is to trust Jesus more. And I would be more than willing to do that should the scenario be suddenly in my face. I also think I believe in Jesus enough to not want to hunt that scenario. You with me on that? Like, like, so there's a point at which if someone's going to come to you, they come to you. The Christian knows he stands firm like a tree planted by streams of water. The moment he wants to go out and like fight on his own entirely, it's kind of, don't get me wrong, Jonathan and his armor bearer were pretty, but he took his armor bearer. He took his armor bearer and he took the name of Jesus with him. So, so where are we right now in an age where nobody actually believes these things exist and now you're asking, will you do an exorcism? It's like, well, what we need to do is start thinking and praying about this period and then if and when it shows up wherever it does, whoever's got that moment better be ready with this book that's not magic but the word of God. Where is it? Now, here's, if you're going to hunt, if you're going to fight, forget the exorcism magic stuff. Forget thinking like I'm going to walk up and be like Jesus or be like Paul, okay? Let's be the church instead. Let's be the ark that prays together so the demons flee from the whole body rather than we have to go and chase down individuals individually. And if God will have us do it, he'll have us do that. But let's pray for the whole. Let's pray for the total. And let's be convinced that like Guardians of the Galaxy style, if I got to do that for you, right, that together we're stronger than we are separate. And that Jesus didn't send us out there to try to like go chase out the demons from the hidden corners. He told us to proclaim on the rooftops, unleashing for anybody who wants it. And those who come near will receive it. Do notice that many of the post-apostolic casting outs occur when the gospel pure and alone for believers is being interrupted by demonic shouting. And at that point, the casting out takes place so that they will be silenced with regard to the shouting. Um, I don't know that I'm comfortable saying more than that, other than that every Christian wants to be able to answer the question, yes. Like, you're in a moment, you realize what's happening, it's very clear to you because you know the Bible well, and you're like, my answer is to fight this torment, which is now inside of that person. It's the same battle, just inside of a person I'm going to fight this by praying in their presence till they either leave because they will because they can't stand it or repent and believe, right? And this can be true. I mean, I don't know what possession is yet. I don't know what the difference between possession, obsession, torment, oppression, all these things. It's, it's the same fight and the same solution. It's that our flesh is allied with the devil and by proximity, he can tweak it. And at times he's trying harder, particularly against Christians who are allowing him to by putting themselves in the proximity of things like sorcery and porn and idolatry with their hearts. And he can attack you with those things. That's the reality. And no matter how, what form it takes, the solution's always the same. Get behind me, Satan. Away with you. You have not in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It is written, you shall worship Jesus Christ, your God only. Him only shall you serve, right? And then go back to your Psalter. If you've been praying the Sons of Solomon prayers, just go right to the beginning. Just start it, right? I lift up my eyes unto you from whom my help comes. I'm just 121 though, instead of the uh, 123. So um, read those answers, those questions again. I want to give succinct. Ever knowingly performed an exorcism? No. Would you ever consider performing one if not? 
Yes, but only insofar as it became evident that that was what must happen because here I am with my Bible and the reality around me is so bizarre. I'm in a public group. I'm just going to start praying anyway (laughs) because it's that weird, right? It's that weird. Now, I think there might be a lot more of this out there than you think. Try opening your Bible, reading it out loud at McDonald's next time you're sitting there. Just read it. It's not easy. Why? Same reason. Same reason. And last question, was it ever brought up at seminary? Yeah, uh, barely, not really, and sort of just like, oh, we should maybe think that we forgot about this. Yeah, totally. And that's it. Yeah, that's it for the day? His, uh, yeah. Oh, that's his question. That No, I think that's it. We are out the end. Are we at 11 yet? It's, it's hot No, enough. it's only 1037. What? That was a lot of questions. It was a lot of questions. Are there any questions in the sidebar? Looking for questions. Yeah, in the don't sidebar. worry about that then. So why don't we? Let's. Uh, we got half an hour left. Well, if you got questions, throw them in the sidebar. Man, that was a lot of questions we went through today. They were long questions, though. That was part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, here's mm. something. Did people in Bible times wait to share the good news until they had first been a good person to someone, made a friend of them? Isn't this sort of like relationship theology? I don't know. Oh, what I guess relationship I was going back is. to that's okay, that's good. the question that's good. about that's good. ministering to people with disabilities. I don't know what relationship theology is. Um, I think relationships are unavoidable and part of the human creation. So if you're trying to like be a Christian to people without knowing that relationships exist and what yours is, right? Vocation, I guess is the way Lutherans want to talk about relationship or vocation. It's a better word or something. Um, but you, you can't really engage people without that. And so, dude, like, by all means, if you, if you think the tactic for this time, right now, today, wherever you are, is walking up to that person and just saying, Jesus loves you, go for, do it. I'm talking to a whole bunch of people that aren't going to do that, and they're afraid it won't work. I'm telling them, then just go up and do something nice first, right? So uh, don't build a whole theology out of that, out of a suggestion and a tactic for applying an idea to your life. Um, but remember though, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm bothered by the inclination to knee jerk against reaction, right? I was against relationship. And I understand why, because I, I, I have hated, uh, decision theology. I do hate decision theology and the sappiness of like your, the, the personal relationship with Jesus talk when it's pitched and sold, um, can be quite frankly insulting, uh, to the biblical narrative. But like, this is, maybe you haven't heard me talk about this before, but this is a real issue, Lutherans. We have rejected a lot of the English language in the name of rejecting a lot of false teachers. And unfortunately, they got a lot of their language from the Bible. And so what's happened is over time, we've gotten very precise at talking about what we believe with each other in language that's not in the Bible. And meanwhile, we actually think a lot of the language in the Bible is wrong. I don't know how else to say it than that. I think that was pretty clear. It's not that Lutheranism's wrong. It's that it needs to be translated back into the Bible <laughs> from whatever else we think we're doing with it right now. And so, like, if, if the first reaction to, like, the word relationship or the suggestion you do something kind is to think that somehow this is a theology-threatening justification, it's like, why the overreaction to the implication that we are in relationship with each other? And why am I pushing on this? Because I think we're all idolaters. 
Me too. I think that my unwillingness to be a good neighbor to my neighbor and talk to him more than I do is basically my own self-obsession with myself and I should repent of that. And I think I come with all sorts of good reasons to like not do more good things for other people. Uh, all sorts of them. Uh, whether it's because the bad people like them, they do that thing so I can't do that or whether it's because I'm tired today and I don't feel like it. I will come up with reasons to avoid what is good. When what is good is if you see the poor and you're bothered, help the poor. Do it. Don't do it pretentiously and don't do it with the poor far away in some micro category that the regime is convinced you are specialer than everyone else and need like public handouts more just learn to see who's around you as humans and care for them and don't tell me that that's somehow is relationship theology that's christianity that's the fruit of the spirit it's living as new people it's being just under grace and allowed to be sinners together even though we don't want to be sinners we certainly don't want to let it. I don't want to let my sin be what my wife sees for me every day. Be that clear about it. I do not want it to be that way in our life. Okay, so we do have a question. Good. An actual question, <gasps> not one that I just fished well, I thought out that was of. a good question. No, it was a good question. It was a great question. I think it was more like in they a weren't conversation. Wait, they weren't waiting for fists to come <laughs> flying back at them. You got to be careful when you put something on the screen in my show. Okay, <laughs> so here is a question that says question by it. Could you, Rev Fisk, explain the Old Testament lectionary you used a few years back? How did you pick the, the texts and why did you oh, do goodness. that? Yeah. In hindsight, was it a good idea? Um, I thought it was. I think what we've been doing with lectionary um, at St. Paul uh, experimentally, but always in and around historic lectionary, um, it has been really, really valuable for the group as a kind of a, a people with a story. Because what I've been doing is trying to emphasize the story they're a part of together in the Bible. Um, and so the Old Testament year was followed up with a minor commemorations, which is effectively New Testament saints year. Um, and so we've been doing all their stories this year. And this didn't move the church calendar away from Christmas, Easter, all those things. And, you know, the, the green season and all the normal days are right behind it. We just move those observations to Sunday, which I know someone will say, oh, that's the Lord's Day. Okay, okay, well. When civilization has arisen where you are and not where I am, then you can tell me I was wrong. But until then, we're both kind of trying to survive here. So um, so the Old Testament one was, uh, first off, CPH had published uh, a version of it that I had used like 2006 in Philly. Uh, Ken Sherb was the guy who did that, which is so funny. They published a sermon series by a, a really solid Lutheran. And so he does a thing on issues, et cetera, about it. And they do they go through the whole thing, which is really great. But then, you know, it, it be, less the lectionary people be upset. It was suggested it's a Bible study. It's a Bible study. Oh, no. Because <laughs> well, we can't upset the lectionary people. Look, look, if you love lectionary, it's a good thing. And I use it. So, um, but what I will do is supplement the teaching of the sermon for the sake of the broader narrative of the location, tying them to that calendar-based reality that never goes away. Um, and so for one year, the uh, same year I believe that, no, no, it was before we still had Bible study, right? Yeah, we were doing Bible study on then year two, but um, for that year, it was just everything was Old Testament. So Bible study every week was also, we do one story in, in church, then we do a different one old in, uh, in Sunday school. And so we tried to cover the whole narrative in one year. And as a result now, I'm mean, going talk about North and South Kingdom. I talk about the exile particularly um, a lot. And I think people have a reference point for the exile, right, as a result of this. Um, so uh, I will confess there's probably part of me that just doesn't like the idea that someone would say, if you don't just use the one-year lectionary, 
then you're not a Lutheran. And so part of me is just like, really? You're like, wa- watch me. <laughs> watch me show you how it can be done. Um, uh, and let, I'll quote someone who, who many get in fights over, uh, Norman Nagel, um, who spoke of the liturgy of the church and the church calendar uh, in this way. He called it a plant. It's a plant. Uh, planted by streams of water and it grows from the body of the church and up it comes from the root of Christ and the word of God and it spreads out over time and then every so often, like every generation, you got to look at it and be like, clip, 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 ooh, clip, uh uh-huh, and then it's going to grow more and maybe someone's like, oh, we got to graft that back in later, right? Because someone cut off the whole top of the tree like the last generation did. Well, okay, okay. So that's why everyone doesn't want us to change anything because we cut off the whole top of the tree. But the thing is, if we don't actually prune the tree, that's not good either. You've got to prune the tree. You've got to have the people understand what's going on. So um, the one-year lectionary is fantastic. The texts in it are some of the best in the Bible. Um, if that's all the Bible you know, then I think there's something wrong, right? And, and that's, that's why, um, is we need to be able to do more with the Bible in the pulpit, period. I mean, the sermon should be a lot longer, too, I think. Um, but I'm crazy, remember. So, yeah, that's my answer. All right, so we have a question from Pastor Wolf Mueller. What? Yeah. He's not allowed to ask questions. Wolf Mueller in the house. He's supposed to answer questions. All right. He says, what is that book cover poster? Are you working on something new? And I can't figure it out. Pastor Wolf Mueller, what are you saying? Is he talking about this? I don't know. What's happening? Is talking about this? Is it that one, maybe? I had to take it out of the screen. It was uh, making you look dark in the um, If it was dust, dust is like the, the primary fiction book I always wished I would write. It's mostly written, but not really up to the ending of the first book of a series of 12 probably. Um, and I've gone back to it again and again. I, I've thought about it in so many different ways. And then every time now though, I've, I've caught this bugaboo in me where I just don't know why, I'm, why I would write fiction. I, ha- I have a lot of fiction and I want to write fiction, but I don't know. And every time I try to do it, I'm like, why? Jesus is going to come back like today or tomorrow. Um, or if he doesn't, the things I, need to do today today and th- things I need to do today and tomorrow are more important than writing some story about some guy that doesn't exist that no one will ever like really remember anyway. I mean, like, like maybe some people do, but you know, why in this pool, this just panoply of overbearing fiction that's just being published these days. Um, so, yeah, that's dust. Dust is a cool idea. I, it's a dream, but it also for me is letting it die too. I mean, it's called dust, right? I mean, and so where do I put my chips today? Where do I put my chips today? And the thing that finally got me to, to real like this is what I'm going to work on for me. I don't know if I'm ever going to publish this. God help me. I don't know. But I decided I care about the book of Proverbs in Hebrew more than anything else in my life. And it tells me care about Jesus and my family more than it, so, so I do, right? Like, I don't just only live with it. I have a family, and I got, you know, work to do and things like that. But I want to imbibe that book on a Hebraic level that matters more to me than, say, say my fiction, Dust. And the, so the poster for me personally is about knowing eternity is coming, that whatever think I'm going to do, whatever I think I'm going to do with my little dream about this best life here, I'm going to be a rock star, I'm going to be a basketball player, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, blah, blah. whatever it is, like, it's going to be better later. Like, whatever you could get now, it, it's going to be better after Jesus comes back. And so, he can give you all of those things now, but it's better if he gives you what you need now, period. And so, my approach to fiction, again, I'm, I'm just kind of confessing for my friend Brian who asked, um, has been to effectively say, I'm, I'm never going to write fiction. Except for that it might just accidentally happen 
but it's never going to be on purpose. So we'll, we'll see what happens to dust. You know, it's dust right now. That's what it is. It's a dream in my head. But a guy named Jack, who uh, lives in the wastelands of North America post-World War III, nuclear dystopia, uh, falls into a really deep, deep shaft, finds some cat people, some lizard people, fights a battle. There's birds and things. There's a rainbow. That's nice. Whatever. Make a good comic book. Sure. Sure would. Uh, Brian. What's, what's up with Brian? I don't know. He's listening. He's intensely. listening. Do you want, uh, bah. We'll, have to, we'll um, have to show you how to do Skype sometime so you can open it and try to get yeah. Brian on. Oh, um, we have one more question. Yeah. Thanks for asking about that, Brian. Wesley Clark asks, what's your hot take on the evangelical heritage version of the scripture? Oh, I've done this before. Um, you could, I don't know if it's in tags anywhere. My hot take is it's, all, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's fine. It's, uh, we don't need more better versions of the KJV. Everything since KJV is a version of the KJV. Why do I say that? I'm saying this as a grammarian, not as a theologian, although it matters both ways. But the KJV standardized the English language the way that the Luther Bible standardized the German language. It was the first dictionary. Now, the Webster Dictionary has now standardized it again a second time for modern English and then proceeded to destandardize it by changing itself repeatedly. Webster's is not consistent. Um, but the King James standardized not only then a lot of English words, but particularly how those words are thought to be used in the Bible. So that again, you have words in Hebrew or Greek that will be translated as two or three or seven different English words or vice versa. And that that habit and pattern is established so much so in the understanding of those verses that oftentimes those verses will not be adjusted or rethought through. They will simply be looked at again from a, like a high level. What are our assumptions? Okay, we know this. Move on. Point of view. Looking for crafting like the language structure or like how poetic it sounds or things like that. But not asking questions like, oh, were they really right about that word? Or, were they, or are they just completely wrong about it? Or has that word in English changed so much that you really can't use it anymore? And while they'll do that about this word or that word here and there, it's not been done for the entire project. Now, the EHV, I think, was an attempt to do that. I think it really was. They wanted to do like a Lutheran-only kind of top-down look. But I'm going to suggest to you that what you really need um, is a fly swatter. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to suggest to you that um, I don't know what the answer to this is. Uh, but it's not more translations. It's not more translations. I think it's one translation in your community where you are, and then you make sure your pastors know Hebrew and Greek and read it. And if they don't, you, like, you pay for them to find out how. <laughs> uh, you get them in that original text because the problem is English just keeps changing. And the solution for 40 years has been, let's make a new translation over and over again. We'll make it ours, we'll make it this, we'll make it that, this, that, this, that. And none of it really has solved the problem and unified people more. It's fractured us more. So again, how do you scoop back a little bit? Realize the nuances we're putting in aren't that big a deal, ultimately. The, like the new King James works just fine. Like it works just fine. Is it exactly right? No. Is yours? Is the EHV? No, it's not. I've had several people come up and point to me specific errors. And I know the guys who published it, like, those aren't errors. This is the problem, is it not? This is the problem. New King James, do we have that argument? Nope. So th that's kind of where I'm at on that, right? So rather than saying we need a new translation, I think we need more people who care about what's behind the translations. And then if we're going to have a new translation, it has to be with the understanding that the King James, King James approach has a certain level of medieval assumption built into it, 
which you really want to back out of. And, and so let me give you this. Proverbs doesn't necessarily use the Hebrew the same way that Genesis does. And you have to let it define its own words first for itself before you go and start having it mean a bunch of other things. Or let me give you another kind of interesting example of how this works. I just found this one this morning. So like there's a word that the Proverbs uses regularly, the Psalms uses regularly, uh, sakal, um, sin, kaf, uh, lamed, sakal, usually in the hiffle, so hashkal. Uh, it can mean mashal, uh, or uh, masculine, masculine. It's a certain type of psalm. Mm. This word that is used so much in the Psalms and the Proverbs to mean then kind of a poem, but it actually means prosperity. It means successful words. It means wisdom and understanding. It means clarity. It's like this super powerful word. It's used one time in a really weird way at the end of Genesis. So there's a whole different entry for it in, uh, in the dictionary for this one time it's used differently. And it's the time when Israel, Jacob, takes his right hand and his left and he crosses them to put his right hand on the younger child, Ephraim, and his left hand on the older child, Manasseh. And in the PL, it says he poemed them, or he clarity them, or, or he designed them is actually what's, what's going on, right? And he knew what he was doing. He knew who he was blessing and why, making a cross even over the entire thing. Um, that word used in Genesis forty-eight fourteen. Genesis being Torah, as a word of Israel's wisdom from God becomes a key word for Solomon at the start of his book about everything it means to make good decisions. I don't think the King James authors were thinking about that. And I think you could think like that about most of the Bible. And we're now at a time in history where we have enough research that's been done, we can look at it in ways they couldn't look at in the 1200s and the 1400s. But of course, we're too busy playing video games. You know, (laughs) playing video games. Uh, All right, so Pastor Wolf Mueller says about dust, you should write dust as an epic poem. That's interesting. And Wesley Clark says, dust off dust. Dust off dust. I, um, I wrote an epic poem. It was called Arthur and the Bottle. Wait, it gets better. It was about a beaver who found a bottle and took it on a quest to find out what it meant. He ends up, I think, killing a dragon by the end this beaver named Arthur and his bottle. It was like, I wrote the senior in high school, senior in high school, it, it had to be, it was probably 25, 10 stanza, what do you call them, verses? Um, st- 10 verse stanzas. 100, 100, sta- 100 verses, Arthur and the Bottle. Epic poem, already done. Can't be done again. Can't be surpassed and lost time in history. You have to wait to Judgment Day. We're all watching everybody's works. Watch for Arthur and the Bottle. It'll, it'll come out. Good stuff. Yeah, dust off dust. I'll think about it. I got Athanasius' audacity and the weight of lunacy. I got Edgar the Cabbage. Um, these are these are all books I would love to see come to fruition. Yeah. Lord willing. Yeah. I mean, I want to let it fall out the side while I walk with what's in front of me. And the Proverbs continually tells me that sons are the legacy from Jesus, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So whatever story I'm telling in a corner by myself right now, I'd rather just be in the story of my people. And that keeps pushing on me. And the rest, I mean, Lord, the Lord has many days for us. It's been a long life to this point just because it's all going to blow up maybe tomorrow or next three years. doesn't mean there's not a different future where these things come back. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for watching, So Ryan. now I'm doing some fancy moves here. Uh-oh. Now we are looking at each other. 
kind of, if we both look at the camera. <laughs> and um, Jana asks, but I have to talk into the side of my microphone. So now everybody sees how weird I look when I try to talk. Um, <laughs> if there's time. Every day, every day I got to put up with it. She talks and she looks weird. It's just constant. <laughs> When did we start up chores for our kids and what type and what age? You go first on that one, my friend. That's funny. We were just talking about this yesterday. I mean, start. It's just been a constant like stumble is what this has been. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I know that there is an age when they want to help you and that usually starts around four. Um, uh, so... Things like for us, it was we had a four year old and they we also had a two year old and a newborn oftentimes. And so I got him. And so we would have the four year old help fold um, like baby burp cloths or grab a diaper, and the two year old would see it and yeah. want to help in their own little way. And yeah. um, oftentimes, unloading the dishwasher. That they liked to help with that, and that meant... So in the mimic phase, we gave them little mimic tasks, and we really right. embraced that. Right. But then they moved into a less mimic phase. Yeah, so now we're in the less mimic phase for most of them. <laughs> and um, we were just discussing yesterday, like, should we... Do we... Pay them? Pay them? <laughs> Is that actually um, teaching them good habits to be helpful for a for a reward or how do we this is such an important question because it's like there's the part of you that's like they should do it because it's good because it's virtuous and like your christian's like yes right and then there's a part of you that's like they have a flesh and they have to learn how to deal with the flesh and i know what motivates the flesh so and i know it won't satisfy them either and they gotta learn it somehow so better for me and somebody else so like you got both sides of that there and we've been we've been talking about it i don't know Right. And I think that if you have the type of relationship where with your husband that you can say, um, hey, can you help out with the supper dishes tonight? Then them seeing the father, the head helping will actually do a lot more Thanks. than um, what you would say or what you would do. Oh, he got it. I and did. it's on the computer. Can you <laughs> see it? Yeah. Oops, let's see. There we go. Oh, this is why I love Yay. her. She picked up the fly, by the way. <laughs> That's great. Um, uh, so anyhow, yeah, just being a model yeah. as the the leader. So the leader of the house is going to speak louder than any words you could mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or charts you can make. I think you've said also um, before, I think it's a really good moniker. There are limits, but um, you get what you put up with, mm -hmm. too. And so some of it, you've said this really, like, sometimes it's less energy to fix the problem than to have them fix the problem as a chore. And you're tired. <laughs> you're done. And so you end up in that place. But um, I think maybe another way to, to, to add to this is that it's a, it's a thing of seasons, Mm -hmm. So you go through the seasons where you're like, all right, I am tired of this. They are going to start helping now. And then it starts and it goes well. And then a month and a half later, things are different, but it's better than it was. But then there's a new problem and it's building up over here now. And then yeah. oh, this is not going to be this way anymore. You know? And it, it's th that season of, um, of learning for the child is valuable. And it's easy to see it as like, oh, this is my child's bad. Well, yeah, I mean, they're... They're a selfish person who's going to say selfish things. And your task is to n try 
to not be the world, but to be the Father in heaven instead, right? He's like, well, that was wicked, but he doesn't even know that yet. So let's see if we can get him to see at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with the tasks, what do they see? Um, yeah, the Father's involvement always. The Father's voice is important. Um, I'm going to say the mother's got to stand up for herself too. You know? Oh, absolutely. And the other, the other tactic that I have taken is going alongside of them with tasks. So I say, let's wash the dishes yeah, yeah. together. And then they do it with me over and over and over again. Um, let's fold the laundry together. And they just see me working and getting it done. Right, right. And they eventually will come along. Yeah. Um, we, to speak to the seasons, we're in the season of, Okay, so if you see a lot of dishes by the sink, fill up the sink with soapy water mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and start the task. Well, that's a funny one because the other day I came home from grocery shopping and oh, lo and behold, the sink is full of soapy water, but there's no person by the sink no, washing the no, dishes. No, <laughs> no so because only two are pulling on the cart at the moment and we're hoping <laughs> yeah. to get a couple more involved. But but yeah. that's just it. You're building... building um, building the household in which there are certain expectations of the way the household is and then helping the children to see that that is, um, they are part of that and that if they like it that way, they can make it be that way. So actually having younger kids helps because the older kids realize where dirt that's not from them comes from a little faster in some ways, right? Oh yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then they never want to deal with anybody else's dirt. You're like, what? <laughs> Welcome to it. Our uh, girls are learning the value of flushing the toilet right now. Oh, yeah. By a specific roommate. <laughs> <laughs> so um, staggering, though. So the idea of, you know, you, you mentioned the phase of the warm water in the sink, um, trying to show them there are simple tasks that can be done that are part of the bigger. I mean, many hands makes light the work. Um, and uh, Yeah, so yeah. as a four-year-old, um, they probably can't make their bed perfectly, but you can pull up the sheets for them and then they can put the pillows as they like. So they're part of the finishing product. Um, they might not be able to fold their laundry, but they can open the drawers to put away the laundry. This is like the primary education of the stay-at-home mother, I think. I mean, the, the schooling's important, but the primary education is this, the modeling of the day-to-day activity, and that the more the mother is able to make the bed together... That doesn't take three minutes, right? That, that takes some intention, you know, 15 at least, and you have to kind of wander in. The, so the organic, the ability of the organic to happen, wherein the parent is going to model day-to-day activities for the child, single parent staying home, right? Single parent income certainly gives you a leg up on that thing. Um, more than a leg up, like a whole other body in the game. Right. Actually, so. And then um, to speak to your question, uh what age? Well, it kind of depends on the child. I mean, even if your first child is ready at two and a half to help out with things, your second child might not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you just have to be, it's, it's organic. It has to be kind of child, right? Not child based, but you have to read your child and what your child's a person are. and you're wanting that person to learn is, is less about having chores in a system and more about having individual people come to enlightenment about life together and so see the child as the one to be enlightened by the parents projection of the father in heaven's truth into their world both by word and deed be that role 
And then, you know, bring them alongside of you as often as they'll come alongside of you. I, I'll admit it as a father. I think more often than not, the problem is not that they're not alongside of me. It's that I don't notice when they are. And that I'm too busy then on whatever I'm on to bring them into what I'm into. Uh, and so it's very easy to think that my concerns about today, which are good. There's like, I'm writing a sermon right now. Or I don't write it, but, you know, I'm reading for the sermon right now. You know, um, it, that is um, that is good but it can prevent me from seeing again what's right in front of me that's my proper relationship. <laughs> now that I stumbled on that one, the vocation's just the Lutheran word for relationship. Oh my gosh, we've been hitting that one so hard for so long as if it's a big deal too. It's just relationship. Anyway. Yeah, I think I can't think of a single use of that word that doesn't fit. Someone send me one. A single use of the word vocation that the word relationship does not fit for it. The doctrine of relationship. I And then um to go back to the question also, the um, what what kind of tasks to do? Well, the I know specifically the task of taking care of animals or plants mm. is really helpful they to like tiny children. They see that get them hermit crab. Uh, yeah, they're the best. <laughs> they are. They are. They're crazy good. <laughs> Our eight-year-old um, turned eight um, on her baptism day. We went and got her hermit crab because that's what she wanted. She named him Herman Sasa. Yeah. <laughs> And they are fabulous because you don't have to clean their cage very often at all. You just have to change the food and the water daily. And that's super easy for a little child. So. And you can buy these super cool shells and they'll like, you can take one and they'll get in. It's really cool. And if you're a girl, I'm not, you could like put sparkles and gemstones and things on it. And it's walking around with this big old cool thing on its back and it's totally safe. Yeah. It'll climb on your carpet. They do pinch, but it doesn't hurt. And it's only if you're kind of dumb, actually. Yeah. Don't walk through the hallway a dark hallway with them. Yeah, hold we them tight when they're the afraid. Yeah, 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 yeah. They want to see. Learn that the hard way. Okay, so the age, so we have, age appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to go back. Uh, we can move on to the next question or comment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think introducing um, filthy lucre, mammon, um, money uh, into the economy of the household is a wise thing to do with the kids. And uh, I'm, I'm, even as we're talking, thinking about how to use chips or something for chores so that yeah, they over time it builds up and they could really just earn earn the little ones want that anyway. And so it's like it part of it is it's like a tree growing in the windy plains. Like you just got to put the stick in the ground beside them and tie them to it so that they do it long enough. And if they do it long enough, it doesn't matter why they did it. They now are that. And so that that's the way you want to see it. Now the flip side could be why they did it. Their idolatry of filthy, filthy lucre could be in their undoing. But you're not going to stop that by like not ever having money in their life. I mean, that's not how it works. You don't you don't prevent sin by removing things from the world. It doesn't work that way. So so yeah, I think I won't keep talking about that with you. Definitely. So oh, over time. Over time. Okay. Well, what we do next in the house? Yeah. yeah. All that. All right. So we have a super chat. Raka. Hallelujah. And Jedi Knight says. I turned 30 in two months. Any advice on what a man in his 30s is best formatted to focusing on? Any Jedi, you do everything. You do so many things. <laughs> keep, keep going, keep going. Any delusions to cast away before I waste time on them? Well, I mean, you've, uh, Jedi, you've got a couple of specific plans you've said in the past, and I know you talked to Titus a lot about stuff, and you've got some big ideas. So my response to you specifically is pick one, go do that thing. Like 10 years, that one thing. Stop having many, have one. Pick it, 10 years, then... Don't like it? Change it again. But uh, it's, it's somewhere between 
This is exactly right. So in your 20s, you're figuring out and you're grabbing, you're trying, you're learning, yada, yada. At at a point now, it's got to pull back from all the ideas and turn into the discipline of doing it long enough to have it really be a thing, really be you, right? The other thing I would say, but now again, remember, I'm crazy, right, is unplug. Unplug as much as you can. Do I use electricity, Meredith? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Do I still listen to music on an iPad? Yes, sir. Did I buy a new iPad because I broke my old iPad because I didn't <laughs> get a screen or an Apple plan? Yes. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah, so, yeah. so so, it's it's here. I live it too, right? But but, for a year and a half, I have intentionally said I want less of this stuff. And every single action toward less has been a blessing. It has been a benefit. And going with that, you know, replacing it with the scriptures, Jedi, I know you're into the Bible, so I know you're reading the Psalms. Um, but honestly, my advice would be pick something that's not on a computer screen that you want to do hard and do that, right? Do that. Okay. So we have one last question. We're at 11.09 and it's from Cafe Sola. How do you get motivated to write a book that is always on your mind, but getting it on paper is often a chore? So... The other book I am not writing that's mostly written is called I Will Teach You to Be Smart. It sounds a bit audacious, I know. I I read a book once called I Will Teach You to Be Rich, and he said, yeah, it's a really audacious title, but you bought it. So um, I Will Teach You to Be Smart. I'm still working on it. I got about four chapters done, but the next thing that I haven't actually been able to go work on, it says this. Working, I know what it says. Working on what inspires you is supposed to inspire you to love your work. So why do so many people experience the opposite? Working on what interests you ought to produce piles of stuff that interests you, not that make you weary and tired before you even begin to dig through them. Rearranging incomplete lists of unclear things is neither work nor production. The issue is a lack of clarity. If you collect all of your stuff in order to get all of your stuff together, then you will have a great pile of stuff, loosely organized so far as piles of stuff can be called stuff. (laughs) Don't collect all the stuff you need. Dig through the stuff for the gold and then refine the gold. Um... A fool's work wearies him, the proverb says. That one made me stop hard, like in my tracks. Last year, I'm not kidding you. All this writing, all all the books I want to produce, a a fool's work wearies him. Every time I go to write, I don't want to do it. I'm tired of it. I'm wearied by it. Well, what does that mean? Bible means I'm a fool. Why? I don't know. Well, I do now, but I don't, but I do. Let me just say it this way, Chris. If you're not able to get your heart to go do it right now, then you're first off not supposed to. Jesus just don't want you to do it right now. Now, you don't blame Jesus. I mean, it's the, it's the providence, right? You're, it's your own flesh. There's a million reasons. But it's okay. It, it's just not supposed to be. You're supposed to do something else right now because you just, you just can't make your heart do that thing. Now, you might have to take some consequences. I mean, you get fired. I, mean, I don't know what the consequences might be. But the fact is, if you can't bring yourself to do it, the fool despises his work because he's doing work he hates. You can't bring yourself to do it because there's something there you don't like. What? Well, until you stop, you're not going to know. So you have to stop and try to figure out what it is about your work that you hate. That particular work, that particular book. My guess is, in most cases for me, right, is that my motivation is just wrong. It was an idea I had once that might have been a good idea, but it isn't really what I actually want out of life. Like, I love the idea that this book would exist, but I don't love the idea of two years of my life being nothing but this book. And since I know that, I don't, ever, I don't, I don't want to do that thing. 
right, per se. I don't know about I'll teach you to be smart. I'm still pondering this whole thing. The whole book, the book titles, I will teach you to, to be smart, the power of the Tesseract, and how I learned to wait. I'm pretty sure waiting is a big part of writing. So my answer is gobbledygook and circular around a little bit, but it's also you're not doing it because you don't want to. And the fact that you keep trying to is the foolishness. You keep trying to do something you don't want to do rather than figure out why you don't want to do it. And maybe figure out why you want to do it. You just walk away. I didn't want to do it after all. That was a really good, you know, I never could have done it because this thing was missing. I didn't even think about how I couldn't do it because I don't have that. Hear what I'm saying? Um, Again, this is my learning experience after running into that, I think, pretty profound idea. If the things that I am collecting do not inspire me, I'm collecting the wrong things. If the book I want to write does not inspire me to write it, then I don't want to write it. I'm just telling myself a story. Where did I pick that up? I should get rid of that and get the one I really want. Which again, send me back to the Psalms for that one. Works out every time. He responds, I think I have an idea what I hate about it, and it's the truths that it would reveal. Mm. About yourself? About others? I mean, that's, that's, I'm not sure what that one means, but like, yeah. Uh, try to think of, I mean, I have, I have this whole pile of stuff here, right? I got a project on finding all the things in the Old Testament and that are locations and trying to create like stories and titles and lore about them, right? So the first school of the prophets at Ramah, right? Elisha's school of the prophets at Gilgal. Like, so we can learn these things. But, you know, to go back and actually just get all of them out of the, New T- out of the Old Testament, that's a lot of work and it just hasn't gone very far. I can't make myself pick it up. I have this idea of a, an ancient family tribal generation model of economic household theory, that's like a whole life's work right there. It's just one piece of paper, and it's probably never going to be more than that. Like, so how do you decide which one to focus on? Focus on the one you want to focus on, which you actually are going to focus on. You'll know when you focus on it and when you don't postpone it. You're postponing it because you don't want to work on it. Again, that sounds like a circle, but you have to back away from your projects your manifold numbers of I should do this, I should do this, I should do this, and I started this, I started this, I started this, and nothing's finished. You've got to back out of all of that. Realize everything you started that's not finished, that you don't want to finish, you don't have to finish, and it's probably not worth finishing. And that right now, you probably just need to like not start nothing new and figure out what things around you mean the most that you've been neglecting that are, that are real, right? And then over time, if one of those things that you've started that hasn't been finished kind of keeps coming back out onto your plate, so you do a little bit of it over and over, well, that one might get done someday. But the rest just gets further and further away. That's okay. It's okay. We have gone through right now. I mean, I'm talking as one who's detethering. I would say so from 2008 to 2020, 12 years, 12 long years, went through the most overpowering supernatural inundation of false information any human generation has ever experienced at one time. It's going to take you a while to clear your plate. It's going to take you a while to clear your plate. Don't try writing any books. No one reads them right now anyway. No one's reading anyway. Right? So don't, don't worry about writing the book. Pray. Pray that we have enough time left for a generation to arise that does read books. Or pray that Jesus comes back and wipes it all out, get all over with. Do both those things, right? Um, you hear me? You hear me? I love you, Chris. Love you, Chris. All right. So I think we're about there for the day, right? We are. Well, it's 11.15. I'm hot. I'm ready to go. I'm done. Hey, if you like the show, if you like what we do, 
If you like all the stuff we do, Mad Christian Mondays, have you found it? Great news for us. Comes for free. Get it at repfist.com slash newsletter. Tell you everything you missed last week. Once you've untethered, you can go back and be like, I'm glad I untethered. Oh, I'll look at that really cute picture. You know, and, and then you can move on. Um, Mad Christian Mondays, you get it at riffist.com slash newsletter. Uh, if you like that and Briefest Your Power and this show, the way that all works out financially is patreon.com slash revfisk. You support the show by subscribing. Uh, charge you once per show, once a week, and it rotates throughout the year. As little as a buck twenty-five can go a long way in making our family scenario here in Rockford, one in which we want to, again, invite you to consider, I mean, advertisement, hello. If you have been thinking about getting out of your dystopic nightmare, the one you live in, where it looks so bad that there's no hope whatsoever, do consider visiting St. Paul Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois. It's not that Illinois isn't a third world country that is completely already bankrupt, relying upon the national administration to print more money so that nothing falls apart for the moment. That's all true. It's that Northwest Illinois has been forgotten. And so as long as they actually fall apart and don't continue to destroy everything everywhere else, we're positioned really well to go and scrap everything that they left over when they're done. Honestly, it's all set for us right here as Christians to live for a good long time and to set up a wall not only in which we defend the country with good ideas, but in which we can infiltrate the city once again with good ideas. So, you know, if you're thinking about gearing up your Christianity, getting involved in something that's bigger than yourself, it's happening at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois. Our Sons of Solomon men's group is already catalyzing itself to be a, a group that stands for the ages here, unless our Lord does not tarry in returns for which we're all praying. So again, consider visiting Rockford. Consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Sign up for Mad Christian Mondays. Go get a brief history power to white guys. And by all means, I don't know. I want to have you say something for some reason at this point. Rock on. There you go. Hallelujah. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>